Good evening and welcome to LLS of Fumar Takes. This is our 222nd take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplessis, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. Two amazing, fantastic gentlemen are joining me tonight, and this is going to be a a very, very special show indeed. I'm really excited to be able to do it. I'm excited to bring it to you guys uh, who are my audience live tonight. And if you are listening to podcasts later, this is going to be an epic show that you want to stick around for. And I'm so excited to have us. But before we kind of kick things off, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. That, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Recently, Drew Estate has launched and shipped the second expression in Drew Estate's valued price line, Nika Rustica. The Adobe is now available at retailers nationwide introduced on on May 12th broadcast of Freestyle Live Special Edition and previewed by guests around the world at the DE25 exclusive pre-party event at the Florida Barn Smoker and and part of Freestyle Packs, Nika Rustica Rodobi brings to life the soul of the lively and romantic barrios and colorful colonial houses of Esteli and Nicaragua, home of Drew Estates Factory. While similar to the Nicarustica Connecticut Broadleaf Expression, the Rustica Nicarustica Adobe is spicier, made from a Habano wrapper, Brazilian binder, and Nicaraguan filler tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa. So check out your local Drew Diplomat retailer and retailers nationwide for the Nica Rustica Adobe today. And welcome, everyone. This is our 200 and 22nd take and it's my privilege to introduce tonight's guests and tonight's special co-host as well mr pete johnson ben lee gentlemen how are we doing tonight perfect doing well doing well yeah, amazing glad I'm, glad to be here thanks for inviting me Wonderful, wonderful. Guys, it's such a it's such a blast uh, having you guys on again. I know the last time that we got together like this, we were we were celebrating the the uh, the monster series. Um, and uh, it was uh, and that was a that was a monster of a show if I could throw out the first dad joke of the evening. So that was fantastic. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you guys here. Uh, we, we've got some great stuff planned for. Uh, for tonight, for our audience, for the three of us uh, to just uh, kick back, relax, smoke some cigars, and 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 talk about why we're here, which we'll get to in just a moment. But uh, let's get to a little bit of introductions and stuff. Uh, what are we drinking, and what are we smoking tonight, uh, Ben? What did you grab? Well, uh, namesake of the show here, K two two two, and I'm not smoking any alcohol tonight because I. I had enough already. This you're not smoking any alcohol. That's good. Okay. <laughs> no, no, not drinking. That's still. This is uh. This is all I mean, all I got tonight is sparkling water. That's I mean I'm kind of going lame. I had enough for the whole weekend Friday night. So yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna bring that up in two seconds here. <laughs> you all might right. still have some in your system with the I'm not smoking any alcohol comment. Uh, <laughs> hey, it can be done. It's true. So so Pete, what are uh, what are you uh, smoking tonight, and what are you uh, drinking as well? Well, I'm I'm smoking a uh, tequila and drinking a Drac Redux. <laughs> wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. How's that? How's that Drac Redux sipping? <laughs> the, the, uh, it's sipping well, actually. Perfect draw. Um, great flavor. Exactly what I wanted out of uh, the Drac. I would say it's actually uh, a slight. It's not 100% the original. It's actually a sw- a slight tweak. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask how you like had the the sensory and the memory from it from it before. I mean, do you? I mean, do you have any of the? Well, we went in. We went. 
Yeah, we do. But we went in with the same exact blend on paper, but then we made some adjustments based on how those tobaccos were working. So, yeah, it's as, it's, it's as close as possible, but there's I think there's a little bit more balance to this one. Terrific. Well, that's, and a uh, little bit more exciting. rounded flavor. That's exciting. Because remember, the Drac's not a heavy cigar either. It's it's more medium. Mm-hmm. So it's got uh, that medium uh, with that nice round mouthfeel from the from the higher priming wrapper. So I, I think I think people will will enjoy it. I hope. I I mean, otherwise I'm smoking fifty thousand of them. <laughs> Is a, is it slated for is it slated for twenty two or twenty three? No, no, this it's for for October twenty twenty two. Perfect. But uh, the uh, this the production levels are actually lower than the Frank. Okay. I don't know why I decided to just cut these back to a. I think it was like maybe a thousand boxes less. So it's just slightly low. It's when I'd say slightly lower in the grand scheme of how, how many francs we made, it's, it's pretty, it's about, what is it? 20% lower. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, like that sounds, that sounds like from familiar with the numbers from, uh, if my memory serves from last time, uh, speaking of the redux, our good friend, William Cooper was smoking the Frank redux a couple of days ago and he was saying how, how well that that was coming along as well. So that's, that's, that's good Beautiful. that the track is, uh, that is also tasting as, as good as it is right now. So, well, I, I think, I think the Drac's going to be right out the gate. Um, kind of, it's got, a, it's, it's that style that uh, is more approachable than the Frank was. Terrific. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Terrific. Well, I'm smoking some uh, Maestro Doble, uh, Doble uh, tequila, <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to be drinking, uh, I have a lot of choices for you tonight, Pete. It's uh, as it's become tradition here on uh, in Ellis from our takes. Uh, you get to pick my cigar, so I've got uh, several from you to choose from. I've got any of the uh, thanks to Michael's uh, tobacco. I've got any of the Tuxlas available, the T110, uh, the Avion uh, 13, and I've also got some of the Veracruz Blues, uh, Veracruz Blues, excuse me, and I also have uh, the latest. Uh, the, uh, at the anniversary for the circuits, the Big Ten, and I for, uh, forgive me, Pete. I forgot the name of the the the, the racine you did for the uh, for the anniversary. They just call it the ERB. The ERB. So yeah, I have a couple of those. Extension de la Racine Britannica, ERB. We decided to abbreviate because it's too much of a mouthful, <laughs> especially when you've been sipping on cigars all night. Yes, yeah. When you've been si- sipping on cigars and s- smoking alcohol, like smoking tequila. Yeah. So, so what, uh, what would you like me to smoke tonight, Pete? It's your, it's your call. Well, I mean, I think you're probably going to get through a couple. Um, so I might start if you want to do lighter, I would, I would start with the RB. Okay. I can do that. How's it feel? How's it feel good? Yeah, it feels good. Good. Then a nice, easy drawn. You'll, you'll be great. I, I smoked one, uh, two days ago. Uh, during the day outside here, and it was way too hot to smoke, but uh, it the flavors were just popping on it. So. Nice, yeah. I uh, the I was a big fan of the Racines uh, as they they tended to age too. So I, I um, I'm planning on grabbing a few more if uh, if possible because I remember them aging really well, which was nice. Well, so. I 
I had a great compliment from uh, from Jay Davis, actually. He called me and uh, he says, you know, normally I, I never was really into the race scene because it just didn't hit his palate right. But he goes, this one just nails me right on my palate. So I was like, okay, that's a good sign. When it can when it can bring someone back to a blend that that really maybe didn't suit their suit their fancy originally, uh-huh. they're able to enjoy it. That's that's kind of nice to hear. That's that's I mean, surely that's probably not the first time you've heard that. That's got to be, you know, like you said, it, a really really awesome feeling that not only not only did they give it another try, but then that that it actually you know it actually came through for them the second time or third or whatever. Yeah. Um, Quentin said, by the way, that we should do a six hour show. No, that's for Coop. We, we save those for Coop. <laughs> no, 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 no. Six hour shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially after uh, Ben's weekend. Uh, so what, we've been joking about it a little bit here. What'd you do so, this weekend? Yeah. So to Ben, talk about your Friday night. Uh, and it's subsequently my Friday night too, Pete, because I was staring at my phone all the time with uh, the amount of text messages I was getting from this guy. <laughs> Look, it's, it's been way overblown. So our buddy Aaron got me to take us to go see Cheap Trick. Oh, yeah. In Charlotte. I so saw that. It was freaking amazing. It was right up front, man. It was insane. And, uh, well, I mean, you know, I was, you know, pre-gaming. You know, I had a bottle of Elijah Craig's, you know. And, I, you know, I kind of put it in a... Stop. Stop. <laughs> you pre-gamed with a whole bottle? Or you just yeah. had happen to have a bottle there. No, I had it before I got to the concert, the whole bottle. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean it was I felt I felt perfectly fine. You know, <laughs> I, I would too. <laughs> but the thing was all only cup I had was this Dairy Queen cup. So I was basically drinking drinking it out of this Dairy Queen cup through a straw the whole way. So and when I got there, I was wait, like, wait, 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 you were drinking Elijah Craig through a straw. Yeah. That's a first. Yeah. It was a first, a first for me too. It worked that well. I was, you know, it, it, it worked, you know, it worked fine. <laughs> so of course it was empty by the time I got to Charlotte, it's two hours away. So I was not driving by the way. My okay. Good. Driving. Yeah. I was going to ask who's, who's <laughs> who was at the wheel with that one? No. But I mean, I have an Irish liver, you know, we're, my, you know, my heritage, this is what we do. We, we drink and we fight. So, so I got to the show, but I was, I was feeling good, you know, and just and beers there were, they were like $17 a piece for a beer. It's ridiculous. So, you know, we're just rocking out the Cosworth. This is freaking awesome, man. I felt a good time, dude. No dits of wardrobe changes in the middle of it. Cause it was like, it was cheap trick and then Rod Stewart. Now I'm kind of an old metalhead, so Rod Stewart's not really my thing. But I tell you what, maybe it was a bourbon, but that show was fucking epic. It was awesome. So I mean, get to the show. I still <laughs> I still pounded some beers and stuff. While I was there, and I I might have stripped going to the truck and, and, and going home. So he's like so he's live text. He's like live texting throughout the whole thing. He's really excited to be there. Like, I'm not making fun of him for that. He's jacked. Like it's, it's, it genuinely was entertaining for me, like just to watch the text roll again and just to see how excited he was. Cause he was thrilled. Yeah. It was, some of it was alcohol induced, but like, it was just, he was having a great time. Yeah. And it was just a lot of fun. It was mainly to poke fun at William Cooper. 
because true. he was supposed to be there and he he backed out. Oh, so, I didn't know that yes. part of the piece of the puzzle. Yeah, okay. he was. Yeah, he was supposed to be there too. Well, honestly, we found out later he got he got sent to Dawson, but he was also worried kind of the COVID after the PCA COVID issue. He was like, I kind of don't know if I want to get in the crowd. Totally understandable. I get that. So, but I just want to. I mean, I was just happy, you know, to be there. <laughs> Can I raise my hand for a question? Yes, um, you may ask your question. You said you you stripped on the way to the car. Did this involve all the clothes or just like your shirt? No, it just the shirt. I, yeah. Okay. There was, there, was, there was no penis. So. so was, <laughs> well, you, but, well, you took it. You went a little too far. Like I was like I was saying, down in your underwear. You, you went full penis on us. Well, like, listen, if you're going to strip, I mean, was, go all was, the way. There was don't no ha- don't half-ass it. You know what I'm saying? Well, but, yeah, you would have full lasted if you had stripped down. Yeah, okay, so well, no, yeah, I was smoking a, I was smoking a cigar, <laughs> right? So a hot ash down there is no bueno, right? So, <laughs> Speaking from so, experience, I just would just say it's not good. Okay, <laughs> it's not good. Anyway, oh get all your well. it was fantastic. It's a string of yeah, it's a string of text and everything, and then like all of a sudden, like the show's over, and he's like, "Oh my god, it was fucking amazing!" Like takes a picture, a selfie of himself. I'm like, "Why is your shirt off?" He's like, "I like to party," like or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen. So you go there, and of course, I I I don't I don't usually like John C. Riley from Talladega Nights because I like to party. Well, I didn't. I didn't like so. Like this was one the cheap trick one, right? It's a tour shirt with the tour dates in the back. That's the only ones I'll buy, right? Because there's always somebody in the parking lot selling for like fifteen bucks or something. Yeah. So I get them there, but they usually don't have the tour shirts. So I I bought them. So I you know, and I have my normal t-shirt on. So when cheap trick came on, I put on I put on this shirt, and then when Roger Rook came out, I put that one over this one. So I had like three t-shirts on. It, it was hot. So what do you do? You, you just gotta take them you off. Gotta get comfortable, you know. <laughs> get comfortable. So that's what it so, is. So here, Ben, I gotta ask. So the beers were seventeen bucks. There how much crazy. were the How much were the bottled waters? I'm curious. Did you happen to see a dollar so, amount? So here's the thing: they weren't selling bottled waters. They were selling cans of Liquid Death. That's what they were selling. And how those were like, I think they're like twelve bucks. Oh gosh. Shit. It was. I I asked only because I watched. Um, <laughs> One of the worst things ever, which was Woodstock '99. Oh yeah, recently, and uh, they were complaining about the four dollar bottles of water at the concert. I was like, man, that, that shit was cheap, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was Relative, crazy. you know, towards time, I guess it was expensive, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted more bourbon, but it were it was like twenty five bucks per mixed drink, and if you couldn't get it, it had to be mixed. I'm like. This is crazy. I'm not doing it. Because you went, you didn't go to a concert, man. You went to dinner theater. Rod Stewart and Cheap Trick are like dinner theater now. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. And of course, I went wild because I had no idea that Rod Stewart was a Celtic fan. So when he started, came out and they were playing the drums with it, I was like, oh my God, are you shitting me? And I turned around to random people. I'm like, is he really a fan? They're like, you didn't know that? I'm like, no. I have a jersey. I should have worn the jersey. That's what Matt, that's my he's a he's a team. he's a big soccer uh, fan or football fan. My buddy actually plays at his house. 
Really? Like he, he has a full pitch at his house. And oh. like the most random celebrities just show up and watch the games. But my buddy who uh, works for a clothing company in Los Angeles, he's actually a, he used to work with me uh, on the clothing brand I was doing called Hassle, which is that that shirt in the back behind you is, is a Hassle uh, flannel. Ooh. So Seth, Seth's a fairly well accomplished soccer player. And uh, he goes up and plays soccer with all these celebrities all the time. He's playing with, he's some, I can't, can't remember who he's playing with, but it's someone super famous right now. And they, they play at Stewart's house. That's wild. That's crazy. They look, there was people brought soccer balls in. So yeah. they're, 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 you know, we're, we're hitting them around. They go up on stage and he's freaking playing soccer on stage and, and or football and kicking them back in the crowd. Like he's, I mean, I don't know how he's close to eight. Gotta be. Oh God! And he's yeah. playing. Look, he's he's playing with that soccer ball like, like he's twenty something. It was it was doing moves and everything. It was like, damn, look at this guy. It, it was awesome. It was really cool. <laughs> so that helped. That helped with the uh, atmosphere. So that was my Friday night. That's awesome. Drunk got a whole bottle of bourbon at a Rod Stewart concert. But the way I see it, like I told you, I, I like I'm kind of like old metalhead. I like old metal. But to go see two freaking Hall of Fame legends in yeah. one concert, I'm not passing that up. Yeah, I can always say that. I've seen oh no, that I'm not. Me- I'm not messing with you, man. I, well, I'm messing with you on the on the whole bottle of bourbon thing. No, but yeah, oh, yeah I'm no, sure no, it was no. a great show. No, no, you know what I want to say in general. You speaking of Aaron, I want to jump in and, and say thank you to Aaron because I was trying to thank him on the post when you guys posted the video, but for some reason I wasn't friends with him on Facebook and I couldn't tag him in the damn thing. So I was like, I'll, I'll go and edit it when he finally accepts my friendship request. He, he never we'll, uses we'll, Facebook. Yeah, we'll he get our, it. He jumps on just to like, like reshare, like, or like the smoking syndicator coop stuff. And that's about it. Yeah. It's pretty. Uh, oh, good. So he'll never know that I didn't thank him then. Yeah. No, he probably will. <laughs> he will now, but no. Yeah, you could have gotten away with it. It's okay. <laughs> so good intentions. Good intentions. Well, gentlemen, that kind of leads us uh, into uh, tonight's major point, which is always brought to you by the people. Yes, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol Cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. Or maybe it's just. Ben Lee at a concert. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Phoebe Cousins, Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol, cigars. So, uh, Ben, I'm going to kick this over to, to you to kind of talk about a little bit. You, you sp- selected a specific cigar tonight. Um, I'm really excited for this 222nd take uh, for a couple of reasons. I'll, I'll share my side of it here in just a second. But um, tell us a little bit about the cigar that you're smoking and why you selected it for tonight's show. I mean, this is this cigar has always been one that I've loved. I mean, it's it's a little bit bigger than I like to normally smoke, but man, this thing it packs a lot of flavor, you know. And you know, tonight is a 222nd show. So it only seemed fitting that I select this cigar to smoke with us tonight, you know, and it is doing really well. This is fantastic. Let's show those, show those there. 
You know, Pete, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really honored tonight. Um, and this, this, this is a very special take and I'll, and I'll tell you why for a number of reasons. Um, you know, one we're going to talk about, you're going to talk about in just a second, but the, this is, this is the, this marks the first time that I've ever actually had a guest request to be on a certain take. And um, <laughs> your request went way back. I mean, we're, we're on take 159 together and you asked it to be on the show. And I, um, I said, absolutely. Um, and, uh, I was, I was, you know, I was touched that you had put so much, you know, thought into it future that, and a lot of faith putting in me that I was going to make it to 222 <laughs> as well. Um, but why, um, you're a numbers guy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. So what, yeah, what was two, the significance of asking to be on the show? I don't know. I, I, I love the number and, uh, I didn't realize that it was going to come up so quick. I mean, honestly, you know, when we were talking however long ago it was, I was like, yeah, just put me on 222. I just want that number for, for Tatawai because of the K222. And if people know anything about K222, it was named after my dog Kona, who passed at 222 p.m. So it became a thing for, for me. And it's also a number that kind of haunts me everywhere. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a special cigar. And I should be smoking the same cigar, Ben. I feel like a complete asshole for not smoking it. Um, I'm sure I have one or two sitting in there in the in the house right now. But uh, yeah, it's it's a number that I thought it might be kind of cool. And plus, listen, man, we don't get on all the time, so I was like freaking, eh, just slate me for the next time for two twenty two. That way, it's it's in the distance future, right. you know. But I didn't realize it was so quick. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it certainly jumped off us. What we we kind of we kind of hit the halfway point too with because uh, we we you had asked after take one fifty nine, and then we also did the monster show in between it. So that's kind of why yeah. it came up a little bit faster than um, than you might realize too. But I mean, originally I think I had, I had said that this was going to be a late June show, so here we are in late August. So it, uh, uh, with some unforeseen circumstances happening my way and having to miss a couple of weeks and stuff, they kind of add up. And but here we are at the end of August for the 222nd take. So good stuff. I love it. But um, but you've you've had a lot of special animals in your life, Pete, over the years and everything. What was what was so special about Kona and that you wanted to make a cigar uh, to honor to honor Kona? Well, every dog. Uh, that that we've had that passes, I always make a cigar in their honor, or I make a line of cigars in their honor. Of course, the selection of Casador, the selection of Hunter, the first you know six sizes spelled out Hunter, the Havana six, the first six sizes spelled out Havana. Uh, obviously, with uh, the tattoo line, the first five sizes spell under the first four sizes spell out Cuba. We look Caballero, Universo, Bonito. And Aravino. So when it came to uh, Kona passing, and he was a tripod for for about, I want to say, wow, eight months or so. He he uh, he did pretty well for a while, and then slowly started to uh, to fade. So we took the decision to put him down, and it happened to be that we all looked at our watches, and it happened well, our iPhones at the time, and it happened to be that it was. 2.22 p.m. So that kind of stuck in my head. And then before I did anything, I would wake up at 2.22 a.m., you know, things like that. Like I would just keep on, that number would just keep on flashing in front of me. Um, 
And it happens to this day where I'll get a bill somewhere and it'll be $222 or I'll, I'll look at a, a license plate and it'll have 222 on it. So it just, it just pops up a lot. So when I did the cigar, it decided, I decided to do just a cigar, a single cigar in Miami, mainly because um, the Miami factories, like they felt like I was ignoring them for a while. I was doing a lot of stuff in Nicaragua and I hadn't done anything new, anything new uh, in Miami. And I knew I was going to an event in Hawaii and I wanted to launch it in Hawaii because of obviously the name Kona. Um, the crazy part about that, and I've told this story multiple times, I got to Hawaii for the event and they upgraded me to suite 222, which was <laughs> really, which was really creepy. I actually I started calling everybody that was part of the group, you know, in Hawaii. I said, did you guys call the hotel and like have them do this? And I told the, the story to the hotel manager and she looked at me. She goes, yeah, the island's talking to you. I was like, you know, I still get goosebumps talking about it because like, I was like, get the, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, seriously. It's so yeah, it's a special cigar and it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, we have one roller that rolls them and we don't make a lot of them. And Retailers don't get a lot of them because we only, you know, make so many, but it is a special cigar for us. And, it, and of course it's a classic, you know, uh, Siglo six size. So it's a classic Cuban Vitola five and seven eighths by 52. I, I think that's probably one of my favorite sizes, but I, I still have boxes from the original production. I was actually hoping that a box would land on time for this because I had a box sent from my office but it shows up uh, probably tomorrow. So I missed it. Well, something, uh, something for you to special to have tomorrow. So, um, and since you're not having a Friday night, like, you know, Ben, you know, you should probably remember it tomorrow. So that'll be good. I wasn't that drunk. No, I you remember weren't. everything. <laughs> you were up before me the next day. That's what, that's the, that's the, that's the Superman part of the story I left out. That's the weirdest thing about when I drink a lot. The more I drink, the earlier I get up. And I don't get hangry. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. I sleep, I take a nap the next day in the afternoon, but I get up really early. Mostly because of acid reflux, though. <laughs> right. That's the only thing that bothers me about drinking heavy is the acid reflux. Yeah, we're getting old. <laughs> uh, did you beat me to it? I was literally about to say that. We've, we've gotten to the point where that's what we're talking about now. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 a touching story about this particular cigar, though, Pete, because I think um, you know one of the uh, one of the the early kinships that I had with Tatawahe, you know, is as I've was was finding out that how much of a, how much of a dog lover you are, and it's that's one been one of my things for my entire life. I haven't had I didn't have as many dogs in my childhood. Um, but I always wanted dogs. So the first thing I, the first adult decision I ever made was, was I adopted a dog and, um, and I've always had, I've, uh, you know, since then I've had, I've had dogs. My, uh, my newest one is, is she's, she's the unofficial mascot of, of the show. Cause she, she lays at my feet every night um, that I do it. So she's down here um, asleep like always. So, um, and it's, um, you know, it's, 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 they, they touch your soul and they, they, 
there's such an important part of it. And Ben, I know you're, you're a dog lover as well. You're an animal lover too, but uh, what is it about, is it dog specifically Pete for you? Or is it the, I know you have a very special connection to Rottweilers in general. Is it, is it the breed or is it, or is it dogs? Well, I mean, I love animals in general. I mean, I, I don't like things like toads, obviously, because I, I go toad hunting around my house to protect my dogs. Um, Rottweilers, you know, <clears throat> it all started with uh, The Omen, the movie The Omen. I think I've told this story multiple mm-hmm. times, but when I was younger watching, you know, The Omen, that I was like, that's the dog I want to have one day. And I got my first Rottweiler when I was still playing music in Los Angeles. And he went, he would go to the Sunset Strip with me. That was Hunter. He would go to the Sunset Strip with me all the time. Um, if I had to go, you know, flyer and pass out flyers on the, on the Sunset Boulevard, I would, I'd bring my dog with me, which was always great, uh, a great bait, I guess you could call it. <laughs> it's like, it's like a guy carrying around a baby. Everybody wants to talk to you. <laughs> And my, my first dog was such a freaking chick magnet, uh, as so much so that, uh, she landed my wife for me because my awesome. wife didn't, my wife did not care to really chat with me too much. But when she saw that I had a dog, um, and saw how beautiful she was, that was, that was the, and, and how, sh- um, how shy she was. She was, a, she had been, a, she had been severely abused when I had uh, rescued her yeah. and, uh, I, it took it took a good probably two years to really socially acclimate her to people uh, to where she would come out from under things. She would always hide behind the couch, hide under things or by my feet always. Um, And then it took about two years for her to finally come out to actually greet people. But that was my wife's goal was to try and get trying to try to pet her. And and, uh, that was all she really cared about. And then, you know, about a year and a half later, we got married. So Um, (laughs) um, yeah, I'll tell you Cuba, um, the one that we named the tattoo series after Cuba was a rescue. Same thing. Kona was a rescue also. But uh, when, when we got Cuba, I went to the, the pound and I saw him in the cage and there was a few other Rottweilers there. And one of the guys at the pound said, yeah, you don't want that one. He's aggressive. I go, no, he's just scared. Bring him out of the cage. And uh, now he became one of the best dogs I've ever had. He was this, one of the sweetest dogs. And then, of course, when we brought Kona home, who was a rescue also, they wanted to fight each other like two lions. Like, they were, they were ready to go. They didn't, they didn't agree the fact that uh, there were two of them in a room. So I, I made sure I held – I took them on a walk, and I held one in, on one leash to my right and one on one leash to my left. And as soon as they started to try to – get towards each other, I would break them apart and just keep on walking until they got used to being together. And eventually they became best friends, like where they would like literally like just lay on top of each other and, you know, like nurse each other, basically <laughs> great dogs. And they're, they're uh, yeah, Rottweilers, especially, I don't know what it is, but uh, you know, dogs in general. I mean, if, if I could do uh, more for, for rescues, uh, I would, I do something with, a local charity here, obviously that we mm-hmm. talk about all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. I think when I get older and I'm already old enough, but, uh, th- there's always that dream of one day having like, you know, some type of farm out in homestead and, 
and setting up a, a Rottweiler rescue or a dog rescue out there. Uh, found awesome. a horse ranch. It was like a, it was a horse ranch. It's a five acre, five acre uh, horse setup, and they have like paddocks and everything. I was like, it'd be kind of cool to turn the paddocks into uh, you know dog kennels and have like just hundreds of Rottweilers. I just don't know if I would want to clean up all the shit. Well, that's why you, that's why you hire someone. <laughs> <laughs> Volunteers, man. Vol- they're, I mean, rescues thrive on volunteer work. So I volunteered at the local humane society too. And I've cleaned up plenty of shit, believe me. Uh, um, but uh, no, that sounds awesome. I mean, the, the horseback idea is great because I mean, what a great living space for all of them too. You know, they're not kennels or anything like that. And just a lot of space and, and, you know, the acreage too would be really great for them. You know, Ben, I didn't mean to leave you out here. I know you're, you know, you're an animal lover as well. I mean, um, what is it? I, I know you don't gravitate towards specific breed like me. We just kind of love the love, uh, love dogs. But what, uh, what was uh, like, what was it about dogs that grabbed, you know, grabbed you? I mean, I, I don't know. I've always had dogs my whole life. I mean, one of my first memories as a kid is uh, the two dogs that my parents had, obviously, when I was a little bitty, a little kid. One was like a basset hound. Her name was Lady. That, that's the first memory I really have. I just remember being a small kid playing in the backyard, and she would follow me everywhere I went. Um, we also, we've always had Labrador Retrievers all the time because my dad and I, we're, we've hunted forever. So I, like, I've trained Labradors to go hunting, you know, duck dogs and stuff like that. But I, we had this, when I was really small, this dog named Sam. He was, that was, he lived with a lady. And I kind of remember him, he was like a bigger, you know, like a really big Labrador. Or it was, it seemed like to me. But my mom, that was that was like her dog. And he was real protective of her. I remember she always tells the story where she was gardening in our flower beds in the, in the front yard. And she was like pulling weeds and stuff. And then all of a sudden, Sam comes and runs up there and kind of like pushed her out of the way. Like, nudges her out of the way, kind of knocks her. She's like to sit on her knees and stuff, right? And she's like, what are you doing? And she would go back to kind of, like, reach, get these weeds. And he would, like, push her out of the way, kind of, like, growl and stuff. She's like, what is he doing? Well, there was – we have them in, in Mississippi. They're called ground rattlers. A little bitty they're, – they're pretty small, but they're, they're small rattlesnakes. They're really they're hard to see. And they don't get very big, maybe a foot long at the biggest. Well, there was one coiled up right there. And when that ground rattler started to, like, come out a little bit, he reached out and bit it and killed it. So he was wow. protecting her from that. He knew that oh, wow. snake was there. So, yeah, but we've, we've had, you know, a lot of labs. You know, I've just, I, if I've had, you know, affinity for a dog use, it's a lab. You know, I've always had them most of my life. But, you know, the past several years, it's always been mixed breed rescues. Mm-hmm. You know, when I lived on, the, on a river, we had this uh, river house. And we I stayed there with my wife at the, at the beginning, and people would just drop dogs off. They would just drop them off. And of course, we would adopt them on stuff. And <clears throat> and I had a when I went to Mississippi State, we had this terror. Uh, the I, I basically went to live in this. Um, it was like a a, a, a house that was from, built in 1832. And when I was at Mississippi State, the, this orthopedic surgeon's wife had this big, like, 15-acre estate. And we 
and they built, they brought this camp over from Alabama, rebuilt it. So outside looked like an old 1832 cabin. Inside was all modern. You know, you couldn't tell from the inside. And but they ended up moving back because we they, like maybe we could stay there. We just had to cut the grass. My roommate and I cut the grass, keep the fans on, don't let the house get musty. Well, they moved back, and she would she would just go rescue dogs from all over. And one of the dogs she rescued was like a terrier, like a border terrier. It had puppies, and I got the runt. And I called him Jack. And anyway, he used to kill snakes all the time. I would come out my front door and there would be a copperhead laying right there. Every morning he just would go kill copperheads. And he was little, but he was the fastest dog, super smart. Loved that dog. We got, we, when I moved back home, you know, we had two dogs that people just dropped off, you know, and um, one of them was like a, it looked like a, a beagle Labrador mix. And he just showed up on our porch one day. We don't call him Jake, but he just was, he just laid on the porch. And I'm like, what is this dog? I suppose it's a neighbor's dog or something. Because in our neighborhood, people just let their dogs run. So I was like, okay, well, he'll go away later eventually. Well, it's like, that was in the morning. Well, mid-afternoon, he's still on the porch, curled up. But it was like really super cold. I'm like, I remember oh, you telling me this blanket story. Out. Yeah, so I put a blanket out for me, curled up under the blanket and was getting cold. And I gave him a little bit of food. And it, the next morning I got up, he was still there. I'm like, well, I guess you're mine now. <laughs> so we we adopted him, and like probably not even a couple months later, this another one shows up, and he looks like a schnauzer. But what was so funny was he stayed at my neighbor's house, and and they, I, you know, I kind of jokingly would call him Budweiser because they would go and like have little parties every night. There'd be can, Budweiser cans all over, and he's running around in the middle of all that. So I kind of nicknamed him Budweiser. But uh, long story short, they they moved, started moving out. And I'm like, hey, are you going to take your dog? They're like, we thought that was your dog. I'm like, no, this has been like a month. This dog's been hanging around. I don't know what he's been eating or what he's doing. But I'm like, no, it's that's. I thought it was your dog. And he's like, nope, not mine. Got his truck and he drove off. I'm like, okay, well, shit, I guess I got three dogs now. But what's funny, <laughs> we called him, and it ended up we called him Buddy, short for Budweiser, because it's a joke. But he had this bohawk, this, this hair that would stick up right in the middle of his head. <laughs> and I had a natural mohawk, greatest dog ever. That was the most affectionate dog ever that I've ever had. He stayed at my side constantly. Every, well, and he hey, loves, man, he real loves quick. cigars. Yeah. Sorry, I have to jump in. If his name was Budweiser, that wasn't a mohawk. That was a mullet. <laughs> hey, that makes sense. Because, he, you know, it's like that snazzer got that long hair from where else on the head. <laughs> yeah. That's a mullet. Yeah. It was, a, it was an open joke, I had to say. Yeah. yeah like during Halloween, my, my wife actually died and died it like an orange. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh orange. But he loved cigars. He loved them. He always had to be around me when I would smoke cigars all the time. And uh, he ended up got, he got cancer and he passed away. Um. Actually, both he and that dog Jake that I had, they both developed cancer, and I had to take him to the vet and put him. That was the hardest thing in the world. It like ripped my chest open, like just take my heart out. That was just the worst thing ever. But uh, now I have I have three dogs again. I got a little dog, which is in the picture for the show tonight. Her name is Luna. Um, that was, we have uh, a Luna. We yeah, have a Luna. Yeah, we've talked about that before. That's that's pretty cool. My neighbor down the road's got a big labradoodle. Her name is Luna. But um, 
she is super affectionate with me. Like I, she, she always has like wants to sit in my lap or I got to hold her. And what's hilarious is when I'm holding her, if my wife comes near me, she starts growling at my wife. Like, <laughs> and it's so fun. We like to show everybody, like she put, put her hand on my shoulder and she'll go looking at her. It's hilarious. She's so jealous. <laughs> but uh, then I have another one that was a human, came from the Humane Society uh, with my dog, Jack, that I had for missing. He passed away. Uh, we didn't have any dogs at the time. And, my, and I've always wanted a German Shepherd. It's two dogs I've always wanted. I've never had a German Shepherd and a, a Jack Russell. I've always loved those breeds. Well, while I was, uh, I forgot, I was, on a, I was traveling for work and I came home. And my wife and my middle son went to the Humane Society and got this dog. I think they saw it on our local news, but it was a base was an Australian Shepherd German Shepherd fix. So her her name is Sadie. That's what we call her. But she has the body of a of a um, Australian Shepherd, but the coloration of a German Shepherd. Oh, wow. And she has a she has a temperament of a German Shepherd. She's highly she's a really sweet dog, but she's highly protective of the family, especially my son. My youngest son, Aiden, like she, like when we're walking or doing something, she will put herself between us and whatever she perceives as a possible threat and will stay there and watch that and make sure nothing happens. Like it, it, I had to train a little bit of that out of her because when the neighborhood kids, when, when, when he was, Aiden was really small, they would come and try to play with him and stuff. And she would like go over there and like, like, like sniff, like, like our bare teeth and would scare him. So I kind of worked that out of her, but um, the latest dog that I have, his name is Jake, which he's in another picture. I think I, saw, I don't know if you posted that one, but he's a um, Australian cattle dog mix. Mm-hmm. I think he's he was a rescue as well, but I think he's mixed with uh, Labrador. But um, he is a big lumbering, goofy little sucker. But he is he's thick and he 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 barks like a rottweiler, like he's got this massive bark. <laughs> But he's like a medium-sized dog, and he is—he is funny as hell. And he, and whenever he was little, the the vet said that whoever he was, like I said, was a rescue. So whoever had him before had him had him pinned up in a really super small cage because his, uh, his front teeth his front teeth are jacked up. Yeah, so it's she like said mine, my probably, other one. Yeah, apparently she said the vet said that he was he was like chewing on the on the gate on the try to get out or get help. And so it deformed his teeth. So what's funny is because of that, he has this lip thing where he gets caught on the tooth and he does like that Elvis, like tucked lip thing. Or Elvis, you see, you know what he does? So he has that just naturally a lot of times and it's just hilarious. Yeah. My but, oldest uh, dog has a snaggle tooth because she, we've had to pull out a lot of her teeth because they're just bad because of, of that. She was a, she will, she was a hoarder dog for the first two years of her life. It was just nuts, but it was terrible, terrible. She had stomach issues and everything. If um, I, I know you mentioned Luna. Do you do you have another one as well, or just or just well, right now? We had Luna's brother Loki, but he passed from a genetic disorder when he was uh, thirteen weeks old. Oh goodness! Yeah, that was tough. That was a tough one because it, again, it was the first two dogs that my wife and I ever had together, and uh, she had another dog that. Uh, that her mom ended up taking because it was like best friends with um, Maria's dog that looked just like him. So they became besties and it was hard to like break them up. So when we, when we got to the house, um, 
we had the two Roddies, uh, Luna and Loki, and Loki started having breathing issues. We found out that there was this weird thing called uh, JLPP, which is juvenile uh, laryngeal polyneuropathy or something like that, um, which essentially his larynx was collapsed and paralyzed at uh, oh my gosh. 12 weeks of age. And then he eventually, we, we tried to figure out what it was and kept him going at the emergency clinic for a week uh, before we, we kind of figured out that his larynx wasn't working anymore. And the only way to do it was to tie it back. And uh, everything that we read and everything the doctors told us was like, you might be able to get them for a few more months just for that, because, you know, you tie back their larynx, they're prone to a lot of other sicknesses and it just wasn't, uh, wasn't a smart move to, uh, to put them through that. So we, we had to make the decision to essentially let them go at 13 weeks. And that's, oh, nice. that's, that's kind of why there's a Kohonu, uh, series L out of Miami because it's a, mm-hmm. a short little four by 50, very powerful for a puppy. And everybody was like, what, what's it going to cost? I go, it's going to be $13. And they, they all looked at me like, are you crazy? It's a four by 50. I go, I, I'm going to make these for me to smoke. And what if it people is. want them, that's, it's 13 bucks. I don't care. You know, that's actually my favorite Kona is that one. I well, like- I, that, that cigar, that cigar for me, I'll tell you, Ben, that cigar, I go into the office here in Miami and I'll grab one of those. We call them Loki's obviously. Um, I'll grab one to smoke in Jose's office. And a lot of times Jose or my wife will look at me like, you okay? I go, this cigar gets me every fucking time. Like literally not, not emotionally, just like it, it puts a kick in my stomach. Like it's powerful. And like, I, I go into the office and I don't have any food in my stomach and I immediately have Cuban coffee in one of those. And I'm like, I got to get some food. Otherwise I'm going to throw up. <laughs> It gets me. It gets me winded, actually. Yeah, it's actually a cigar that, I mean, going by, by what I like and stuff, it's, I shouldn't really care, like it, to be honest. But, yeah. man, it's the one. And when I see it, I grab a handful every time. There's something about yeah, it. It's, it's, it's full about of it. flavor, full of power. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a standalone thing. I, I, I made some, some uh, versions of them with a light wrapper, a, a lighter wrapper. Um, you know, what we would call a Claro in, in shade. And uh, those are kind of a personal thing for me. But uh, everybody wonders, you know, like people have asked me, are you going to come out with a Luna cigar? And I go, no, not until she's long gone. Like, you know, that's uh, that's not even something I want to think about. Yeah, this is our newest edition right here. Oh, no. Oh, it's no. a boy or girl. It's a girl. Her name is Maiden. All, ca- actually, uh, all, all cats are girls. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, I, I never thought I would ever in my life have a cat, but uh, yeah, she's named. <laughs> so it's actually my cousin's cat, and uh, she's, he's a huge Iron Maiden fan. So the cat's Maiden. But listen, nice. let me, this story. Someone was just cat, talking about Iron Maiden earlier. I think it was maybe, really? maybe Sean. Sean was talking about, I think Sean was talking about Iron Maiden earlier. That's badass. But yeah, that so we're my cousin and I were sitting out, we're ha- I was having a cigar, and uh all of a sudden we she she got out and she comes coming around the corner 
and she has something in her mouth. Now, this is a little cat. This is small. And I'm like, what the hell has she got? She caught a baby rabbit and was brought me a baby rabbit. <laughs> I was like, killers, man. The They're cold, fucking hard killers, man. They will. <sighs> I was like, oh, my God. Aiden's about to get home. I got to do some of this baby rabbit. If he sees it, he's a tenor art. Like, Bear, we talked about it. He wants to be a zookeeper. That's what he wants to do. He wants mm-hmm. to work at a zoo. I'm like, I got to I gotta get rid of this rabbit somehow. So, <laughs> fish, that little cat, I'm like, the, the rabbit wasn't so much, much smaller than her. I'm like, how the hell did you get this rabbit? But yeah, so now I'm a, I got I got a cat now, too. That's unbelievable. Never thought I'd own a cat. Yeah. Well, anyway, these... it didn't mean to go crazy. Oh, we get no, no. One of these days, one of these days, uh, Molly, my, my, my dog, she's going to get, she's going to get a rabbit or something. She, she runs all over the property, just chasing everything. She's going to catch something one day. <laughs> it's going to be nuts. But, yeah, we have a we have a problem with Luna chasing lizards. Oh yeah, like like we have some lizards on the property that are probably about a foot long, and they're okay. like blue and green and orange color, and they move like a motherfucker. They they're fast as shit. Luna, if she sees them walking out, because we have windows all the way around the courtyard, mm-hmm. she. If she sees them walking through the courtyard, she'll she'll like try to break through the, the door and, and get out. Yeah, we had them in Tallahassee. I'm really they're, close. They're, they're called broadhead skinks. They're like real smooth and multicolored, mm-hmm. but kind of dark. Yeah, it's a broadhead skink. Yeah, they're, they get big. They get about this big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and they're fast. It. They're fast. Mm-hmm. We had one that. Uh, that ran straight into the pool one time and yeah, he didn't do well. They, they don't do well when they, when they get into a pool, I think they drown. So I had to, I had to fish him out with a net and throw him over the fence. <laughs> um, are, is, uh, is Luna, Luna, Luna's a rescue, right? Pete? No, actually we got her from, from a, a, a local guy. Essentially I would say that we rescued her and Loki because, uh, it was just some guy around the corner from where we were living that had a litter. And uh, we walked in and we were like, we wanted to take every one of them. But uh, we realized uh, that Loki took the brunt of the genetic disorder from all the other puppies. Like every other puppy ended up being fine, but Loki took the brunt of it. And Luna carries the gene. Um, but she, she could, she could only pass it on. Like if she, you know, had babies. So obviously she's not having babies. We had her, we had her fixed uh, a couple of years ago now already, which was the hardest, the hardest moment for my wife because Luna came back from the vet, you know, all groggy and shit. And my, my wife hates seeing her like just in pain or miserable. So luckily that only lasted for a few days. That's good. Well, you know, Pete, you alluded to it a second ago. Usually, we just a little bit later, but I figured it'd be a good time to do it now. You, 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 you're with your your dreams of uh, of perhaps uh, having your own rescue one day. But uh, but you do a lot of work for a number of rescues, and uh, one that uh, that we featured a number of times on the show, uh, and we will again tonight is the uh, the Gulfstream Guardian Angels uh, Rottweiler Rescue, which does fantastic work uh, for that breed. I, I think that what you know one of the things that I, I love about specific breed rescues and 
specifically rescues for Rottweilers is, is the misconception that a lot of people have about this breed. It's very similar to the, the misnomers about pit bulls and other, mm -hmm. these other breeds that, you know, people would, I'm using little quote fingers for people listening later that, you know, more aggressive breeds, but I mean, I mean, you've had a number of these, these gentle giants, Pete. And I mean, that, I would, that was, that's a pretty apt description for them. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I, we've never had a Rottweiler that was aggressive. Even when, when I told you about Cuba, like he was just scared in the back of a kennel at a, at a uh, you know, a big kennel in Los Angeles. He wasn't uh, aggressive at all. As soon as he came out, he was, he was ready to get the fuck out of there. They just, they just need a home. That's it. So as much as I want to, um, and my wife wants to bring in another dog here, we're always traveling and it's really tough for us to think that, uh, we're not around with multiple dogs here. Uh, we know that Luna, um, is like best friends with the lady that takes care of the house when we're gone. So, so we know she's in good hands. And plus the lady who takes care of the house while we're gone is actually a family member. So we, uh, we're confident that we can, we can leave without any worries. Um, but of course she likes to make it, make sure that we feel guilty for leaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gulfstream garden angels actually, uh, they're, they've, they've got a great photo of you right there on the homepage. Um, you've done, like I said, a number of work for them. In fact, uh, you've, you've also enlisted the help of your friends at Boveda to help as well. They're listed as a major contributor for this. What was it about, you know, I know we've talked about this, this, this fantastic charity before here, Pete, but what was it about them that really, other than the breed that really grabbed your attention and, and, and really spoke to you as far as being able to, to give back to them? Well, when Boveda came to me about doing the interview, they wanted to tie it. You know, they were obviously, we talked about it on the show a little bit, but we wanted to tie it to some charitable aspect. And um, they asked me, like, do you have a charity? I go, well, I know there's a Rottweiler rescue in Miami. Um, maybe we should read, reach out to them directly. And I'm sure that they need some extra help. So, Luckily, with Boveda, they, they kind of did a whole, we did a whole match thing where we both donated, whatever was contributed, we both donated that plus the same amount again. Um, so it's listed on the site, but uh, it was a few thousand dollars from each company that went to the, the charity. And since then, it's become like, like I told the ladies over at the uh, GGAR, I love the fact that it's called GAR, you know, uh, but uh, <laughs> If you want to know, it's ggarr.org. Um, but yeah, I've, got uh, a, I've got it posted in the chat, and it'll be in the show notes later. I've talked to them. I'm like, you, you don't have to leave my picture up. Like, you know, I don't really need the notoriety when it comes to charitable uh, contributions. But uh, I, I make sure that uh, I send them money every few months, just because. It's funny because. Uh, my my accountant said, "Oh, you didn't give as much to charity last year," and I'm like, "Well, I kind of did, but I don't I don't bother getting the uh, the the charitable letter because I don't care. Like it's it's not what I did it for. Like I didn't do it for a write off. Right. This is something you're clearly passionate about. And they've done. I mean, like I said, they've we we've, we've featured them a few times, Pete. And I, I, I really love uh, the work that they do. And, and, and again, it, the, for the specific breeds uh, that we were talking about and um, 
you know, this one being Rottweiler, the case of it's just it's really important not only to, you know, raise money for these for these beautiful animals, but also raise awareness uh, mm -hmm. to for um, for them as well. Like, you know, like you said, you've you've had several and none of them have been ever aggressive. And I think it's important to educate on the the misnomers that it's it's, you know, my, it, my girl gave me a, a little shiner today, though. Well, yeah, you can see that little red mark. But did she really? Um, was it wasn't a little self-inflicted though? <laughs> it was. It was self-inflicted. I was I was playing tug of war with her, and then I got really close to her face while I was playing tug of war, and she let go of her side, and the uh, the toy, which is like a baton, like slapped back and just knocked me in the face. I was like, <laughs> this is right when we were watching the F one race this morning too. It was like everybody's walking into the house, like because all the kids come down and watch the race. And I had like uh, like some ice on my eye, and they're like, "Why do you have ice on your eye?" I go, "I got hit in the face with Buddha's toy." <laughs> Literally, it, it snapped back. It, it was like a whip. It was just boom. I'm like, "Okay, oh, I'm man. gonna have a black eye." <laughs> it was funny as shit, though, because even Yanni looked at me. She goes, "Holy shit, it's getting red." And I go, "Well, maybe because I have ice on my eye." <laughs> But the, it definitely it definitely stuck. It's a little bit. It's a little tender. Right a little there. tender there. Yeah, and I was leaving. I, I went to go to Costco today, which was my, maybe the worst decision I made in my life today. Was to go to Costco at noon on a Sunday. On a Sunday, packed, just packed. And I was lifting a box, and I was putting it in my car, and I had to bend over and pick up the box, and I just started feeling pressure in my eye. I'm like, oh yeah, this, this is going to come out pretty nice in a couple of days. Going to get a nice little yellow yellow note to it yeah i will say this too like every year for my birthday i do a charity event on facebook for my birthday charity thing. yes and, yeah and yeah, I, yeah yeah it's for a, a, a senior dog sanctuary or like where dogs are they get really old and their owners can't take care of them anymore or they just don't have a home the owners get rid of them whatever there's this ranch they're close to me in tennessee that they take them in and give them a good life the end of their life and every year, the biggest contributor is Mr. Pete Johnson. So I always thank you for that, too. Yeah, I always welcome, appreciate man. that. You're welcome. So it goes beyond this world. It's just all dogs. Dog yeah, it, it, yeah dog, dogs in general. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Rottweilers have just stuck with me because of, um, you know, all the ones that we've had and all the ones that have passed. And every one of them has a, a cigar named after him. So even Arnold who uh, the, the picture you sent me bear was actually this, this dog named Arnold. Mm -hmm. um, he was massive and he was named Arnold because of his size. I was going to say, like he Arnold was Schwarzenegger. Huge. That picture is massive. It's crazy. Yeah, He was a, he was a beast. Um, and uh, so he, he has the, the grand Kohonu series a, so it's a short grand Kohonu and that, that, that we don't make a lot of those either. So it's another cigar that, uh, we don't see a lot of, but uh, they're they're definitely special. There, um, he, God, he was a he was a beautiful dog. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that I don't have to make uh, another cigar for a while. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, that that uh, that photo struck me just not only just because uh, it, you know, it, it played it played obviously for tonight's significance. Uh, but just, I mean, I would, I saw him and it was just like, man, that, that dog is massive. I'm going to see if I could pull it. Yeah, here we go. We're going to pull up the picture here. Um, 
I mean, he is he is one big boy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, he was. Look at those. Look at those paws. I mean, that. I mean, jeez. <laughs> how much? How much did he weigh, Pete? Do you remember? He was a buck thirty-five, maybe. God, huge animal. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, and his head was huge. Well, it's bigger than yours. I mean, I know you're yeah. sitting a little bit back in the photo, but man, that man, he's a he's beautiful though. Look, I mean, just just a beautiful animal. All of them are. It's just wonderful. Well, Luna's Luna's a freight train, dude. She uh Luna, she's a smaller Rottweiler, but she's just pure muscle because she gets a she has a big yard to run around in when she was younger. I used to uh play ball with her a lot and she would just run all day. But she's, you know, her uh, grandpa, uh, Papine, calls her a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, the she's, uh, she's probably about a buck 15. Oh, so she's not too girl. She's, Yeah, I was going to say, she's not too much smaller than, my goodness. Yeah. I think she's gotten as high as a buck 19 or something like that. And we're all like. Oh shit! Yeah, we'll we'll put her on a diet because the vet looks at us and goes, "No," and we're like, "She's not fat." Like, come on, man. <laughs> she runs around all the time. No, um, what's the? I mean, because for large, they say larger breeds, you know, they have a they have a shorter life expectancy and everything. What's the oldest one that you've had? Well, um, Cuba was thirteen. Okay, well, that's a pretty that's a pretty big yeah. age then. Yeah, Cuba was thirteen, uh, eleven for Hunter and Havana. Um, unfortunately, Kona was uh, just around eight. Arnold, unfortunately, was closer to like seven and a half or so. And then, of course, you know, Loki, that was yeah. a tragic. Tragic, yeah, absolutely. Well, some great uh, some great uh, charities. I posted, Ben, I posted yours as well in there, um, too, into the chat. That'll also be in the show notes, too. But um, some uh, some really great opportunities, folks. If you guys feel called, if you feel like the need this you know select those links i mean these are great charities in need our, our four-legged friends they are they you know despite the the money that we have been talking about that we've that you know pete and his friends have graciously raised and given uh these are always charities that are in need um you know and it's not just money it you know it could be you know everything from dog food newspapers is a huge thing for 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 rescues is they they need they need they need newspapers There's and one stuff. One great thing that I, I have to say this, but one great thing that I do is when I log in. So I buy a lot of shit on Amazon. I think pretty much everybody does. Mm-hmm. But when I log into Amazon, I log in through smile. Right. Dot Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. And smile, my charity, charity of choices, uh, obviously is GJARR, uh, Gulfstream. And uh, so you can, you get a report every once in a while from, from Amazon say, saying how much you've raised through the, your purchases uh, for that charity, which is really cool. Um, that's a, that's a good way to, to, you know, to give something without really feeling that you're giving anything, which is, which is nice. If someone wants to, you know, give to a charity without, without thinking about it, that's an easy way to do it. I'm going to think I'm going to switch that up. I think you inspired me to, um, I've had it as uh, St. Jude for a while. Um, and I've had oh, great had charity it, though. Yeah. Great charity. I've, I've had it for, um, 
I've raised money for uh, Veterans Affairs. I, you know, my audience says my father's a veteran. Um, so I think I might change up from St. Jude to, uh, to Gulfstream because I think that'll be a, I'll be, it'll be a great tribute. So, well, um, well, gentlemen, thank you. I have so to much. jump in. I have yeah. to jump into a different topic. Sean okay. Miles said we need a smoking lounge in Vegas for the F1 race. I can tell you that, that I have someone that's actually trying to work on it. Oh, here we go. There we go. I yeah, I have, a, I have a friend. Uh, <laughs> I have a friend that kind of has a green light to do something at MGM. So, oh, okay. Uh, there's a possibility that uh, you might see something. That'd be really. Hence cool. the reason why I'm I'm actually going to London, not this week, but the next week to have a meeting about this. Oh, well, that's cool. That'd be really. Uh, that'll be. Uh, Although awesome. I would have preferred instead of going to London, I would have preferred to be in Monza. This next, uh, you know, two weekends from now. Uh, yeah, me too. Well, hey, breaking news right here. Yeah. So it would be in the MGM if, if all if all things go to plan? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's a tough, you know, that whole circuit is going to be really interesting to see how they lay that out. So I don't know. I don't know if it's going to really be possible. And I And honestly, I don't even know where the MGM sits in that realm of that circuit. So. Yeah, I don't remember either. I don't. I don't know if it's right on but it or I, just off. I really wanted to have one at the Miami race, like really bad. And then, uh, of course, Padron ended up having one, which was great. But I, I told the people at at uh, that work with the Hard Rock, I said, you know, th- there's room on that that circuit to have more than one cigar lounge because it was a big thing. Like people wanted to smoke a cigar at the F1 race, and that that circuit was so big that you would be like, oh, the cigar lounge is like. Two miles away, yeah, I'm not going to go have a cigar. Because it was literally a two-mile walk to get to the cigar lounge. You're like, yeah, forget about it. Forget, geez. Well, that, that would be that would be super cool. Well, hopefully uh, hopefully we'll have more updates on that project as you continue to work on it, Pete. But uh, good luck with that. But uh, we are, uh, we're going to talk with about dogs for just a little bit longer tonight. But we are going to talk uh, about some Tatsuahe as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and kick things off with our presidential uh, United uh, Cigar Trivia question for the night. As always, it's brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana's distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and Alfonso lines. So smoke one today and start living United. And our guests tonight, Pete Johnson and Ben Lee, are here courtesy of United Cigars as well. But let's kick things off with our presidential trivia. And of course, Shocker, it's about dogs. Uh, we're not the only dog lovers. Uh, the United States presidents have a history of being animals lovers as well, especially our canine friends. And it started actually with our pre- our very first president, George Washington, who had 36 dogs in his lifetime, uh, with uh, particularly his, his favorite, um, who was there during with him during, went with him, actually went with him to war against the British, named Sweet Lips. Love the name, um, but uh, his uh, his um, stop stop for a second. George Washington had a dog named Sweet Lips. Yes, he also had. Yeah, that, that's a pretty that's a pretty progressive name for back then. <laughs> yes, Sweet Lips. Mopsy was another one. Uh, Drunkard. He had a he had one named Drunkard. Uh, the King of Spain actually gifted him a. Andalusian donkey that he named the royal gift. He was he had a, he had a, he had this really cool proclivity for naming things really awesome names, animals really awesome names. 
I have to say it's pretty cool stuff. Um, but his successor to the presidency, Mr. John Adams, also loved dogs as well. He had three dogs with him while he was in the White House. And that brings us to our question. So this is multiple choice. So which one of these four names, and you guys are both up for this, which one of these four names was not the name of one of President John Adams's dogs while he was in office? Was it A, Apollo, B, Juno, C, Satan, or D, Mark? <laughs> I'm going to say it wasn't Satan. I want to say it was Mark that was not, not one of them. Because Satan seems too obvious, to be totally honest. <laughs> I don't know. Mark seems pretty simple. Like, <laughs> then again, I knew a cat named Bob. <laughs> so, <there's... laughs> so, uh, so Pete's saying Satan. Ben is saying Mark. You guys are both incorrect. It's actually Apollo. His three dogs while he was in office were named Mark, Juno, and yes, he had a dog named Satan. Well, then he liked Iron Maiden also. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think what's really really fun about the history of dogs and presidents and stuff, I I did want to mention, though, there's... So the uh, we talked about Washington, but Calvin Coolidge also had the most. Him and, and Washington had the most dogs while in their office, but the most pets in office. The crown goes to Mr. Teddy Roosevelt. President Roosevelt had more animals than any other president in history, and by a quite a large margin, he had forty-eight animals. Forty-eight, ranging from simple farm animals like goats and cows dogs of course cats lizards but he had other things like bears and a lot of all at the white house yes yes all at the white house and uh had special installations put in basically had a zoo at the white house but it was there was only one of his 48 animals that was actually booted from the white house and you won't believe this it was a dog and the dog's name was pete (laughs) (laughs) oh wow a bulldog so, named Pete was booted from the White House because of, I get this, numerous offenses is the, the is the only thing I could find out. I was like, what the fuck did this dog do that a bear <laughs> didn't get kicked out from the White House, but a dog did? That's what I want to know. Maybe he a couple of, you know, press secretaries. Dignitaries or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know the Bidens, their dogs got booted too. That's or right. At least one dog. One did. One did. Yeah, uh, major, I think. So, Why? Something like that. It was biting. It was, it was. Yeah, it was. Bi- it was biting people. Yeah, they did get a puppy recently. Commander is a twelve-week puppy that uh, that they've raised. I don't know how old it is now, but they bought. They got a. Uh, speaking of German shepherds, so, then President so is Biden the, is a German shepherd fan. Was the uh, was the. Uh, Zoo at the White House now, the Rose Garden. Like, where I, I don't know. I didn't get the details. I didn't get too much because we we're just doing dogs tonight. But that's going to be forty-eight animals. I mean, this thing is just unbelievable. It was just—it's just crazy. The uh, the amount of the amount of animals that I mean, it's it's by quite a large margin. I mean, the next closest uh, is Calvin Coolidge, who had the most dogs, along with President. Um, Washington, but he had Calvin Coolidge had 12 dogs while he was in office um, all at the same time. So um, this is the picture. The other picture that I wanted to show uh, was Calvin Coolidge because 
President Coolidge was not known for being a very warm character. And so the, you know, his, his, you know, associates wanted him to make, they wanted him to appear more like loving and appealing and warm and stuff. So they, they took a photo of, of President Coolidge. I got to share this because they said, oh, this is, this is the, this is the uh, photo that will warm America's hearts uh, to, to President Coolidge. And apparently it did the work, but I got to take a look at this photo. This is President Coolidge and his dog. Uh, his president, his dog, uh, Fala. No, no, that's not Fala. Uh, King Tut. King Tut. So, um, and um, and they said that you know this was the one that won America's hearts. I gotta say, um, is that a that dog looks terrified? <laughs> I don't know, but the dog looks terrified. I don't know. <laughs> like, I guess they were like, oh, a man with a dog. That's cute. I guess. I guess well, he's not such an asshole. That the after dog all. was looking at someone to eat. You know, right. <laughs> But yeah, well, the dog looks more like he's looking at someone that he wants to gra- go grab. <laughs> looks like he's eyeing the cat or something, but he does not want to. Does not look like he wants to be in the photo. I have to admit. Yeah, <laughs> I like, is, that a, is that like a looks like a German Shepherd member of Collie or something? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Unbelievable, crazy stuff. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Pete got booted from the White House <laughs> apparently for numerous offenses. So, oh, trust me, I'm sure I would too. So. <laughs> but that is our United Cigar presidential trivia question for the night. As always, brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose. Wait, wait, Dominguez. wait! Someone said that that uh, the dog was shitting. Is that the? I, I mean, <laughs> I, the only thing I found was oh, numerous maybe that, that's Sean. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I don't know if Sean found that somewhere if he's guessing or something. But like I again, I couldn't find anything other than the quote, literally numerous, and it was in quotes, numerous offenses. So I think either Sean's right or you might be close to the marker too, Pete. Like maybe it was, maybe it was uh, getting a little too comfortable with uh, some dignitaries' legs or something. But, uh, <laughs> but again, that is our presidential uh, United Cigar trivia question of the night, brought to you by United Cigars. Featuring Lagia Nevada, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero Garofalo, the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and Alfonso line. So smoke one today and start living united. Uh, well, gentlemen, it wouldn't be an evening together without talking about uh, about Tatuaje cigars. And of course, Pete, I know you're not going to say it, but I've, I've said this numerous times, including to you at this year's trade show. Um, you know, you've you've obviously experienced an enormous amount of success over your career in this industry, but uh, this this year in particular has to be a a, a banner year for you. I mean, it, it's it's been so exciting. A lot of just not only great releases, but very special projects. I mean, overall, like the last the last twelve months in county, like what just kind of you know has it felt special? Has it felt any different? Because it just it feels it feels different. I don't know how, how it feels to you. No, the company's in a good spot. Um, I think you know there are a lot of great releases, a lot of good response from people. We've been we've been really lucky with uh, with uh, the acceptance of the cigars that we put together by by a, a big crowd. Uh, the retailers seem to be very happy with the product. But uh, I think it, this is kind of like a lead in for our twentieth anniversary. So it, this year and next year are are kind of like big. Um, and there's also projects that I've been putting together throughout this last year and the year before that are all going to be released in 2023. So I've been fairly busy. Um, yeah, 
a lot of good a lot of good response from uh, all levels, the consumer base and and the retailer base. So we're we're really happy. I, we can't complain for sure. I think Ben and I were talking about this a little bit before the the show as well. It it, it I know this was over. This was over. 12 months ago at this point, but like, I think this kind of the, the ball kind of started rolling with the, re- the return of the T one tens, which was really, really exciting uh, for a lot of your fans, but for the people who weren't familiar with it, and we've had this discussion about the reduxes and things that you've brought back and how they seem to gain this, this even more notoriety as they've come across what, you know, why was it important for you to bring the T one tens back? I, I think it's, it's, it's fun to bring those those projects like that back every once in a while, just to uh, give someone a chance that, that never got to try them, or eventually had to pay some outrageous price in the secondary market for them. It's it's just nice to kind of let them get a chance to to buy it at a normal retail price and not have to go out hunting. But I mean, what was it uh, about eight years between the no longer nine years between the T one ten. So it was a long time from release to release. And those will kind of sit, you know, in the archives for a little bit. And eventually we'll bring them out again. I I just enjoy um, digging into the portfolio of all the limited editions and uh, the one-off projects and bring them back in some, in some form, whether it be a redux or even a, a new version of it, like, for example, like the pork tenderloin that's coming out next year, which is actually mm-hmm. in San Andreas. So that's a version of the pork tenderloin just with a new wrapper. Um, I think the response is, is fun. People people enjoy uh, seeing something that, that hasn't been out in a while. So we've, we've been very lucky with that. Even, I mean, look at the Racine. When we did the Racine blend years ago, eventually it kind of died off at the trade show. People, you know, I would say cared less and less about it. So we put it on the back burner. And when we came out with it at this year's trade show, it was, a we had a great response for it. So we've been really lucky that uh, people had been enjoying those cigars secretively. I, I like, again, I just got hit up by someone the other day asking if there were going to be any uh, lap Maduro's coming out anytime soon. And we had put those on the shelf for a while. So you never know; those might show up, or some version of one of those cigars might show up. It's 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 good way to to kind of you know bring things back uh, from the archives. Yeah, there's one that that we just reviewed at a roundtable last week that we were talking about. That La Riqueza, will that ever mm-hmm. make a return? Because you know how, how much I love that cigar. That line, it, and I as well. Yes. Yeah, the La Riqueza. Um, you know, I, I obviously I want to keep the brand name alive. It's still alive in a sampler that we do, the Lancero sampler. It comes out one cigar every time we do the Lancero samplers. But it's a brand name that I absolutely love. I love the translation of it. Obviously, it means the, the wealth of the riches. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very regal-looking cigar because the band is actually copies the original band from Cuba. Um, the original packaging that I did way back when I originally launched a La Riqueza was a pure mimic of, of how every piece on a La Riqueza box would have been from like the thirties or the twenties in Cuba. So 
I don't know. I've, I've had thoughts about bringing out Lowry Keza as a completely different animal, but I think people expect it to be broadleaf. So I want to, I want to stick with that as much as possible. Um, you might see another one down the road, but it might be a couple of years. Ben and I were remarking on that show because uh, we did it together uh, along with Aaron and, and Coop that this was, this was the, the, the 2002 uh, special edition was very 2002, 2022 special edition was very much, you know, it, it was enough to kind of bring us back that, that, that nostalgia, but it was a completely different animal. I mean, it was even darker. Oh yeah. And more, uh, Ben, I mean, I think you and I agree. It was, it was a, it was more robust as well too. Yeah. It was, it was definitely a stronger blend and a higher priming wrapper for sure. Yeah. It was, I had to actually, I had to really kind of take myself back because when I approached it, when I was so excited to see it come out because I love that line so much, when I first smoked it in my head, I was expecting the way the original line was. That's what I was expecting. And of course it's not, it's, it's yeah, its, its not. own animal. So, like, as I was smoked, so, so the rest of them leading up to it, I had to, like, say, okay, take this as its own cigar. Quit thinking it's the original Arikaza because it's right. not. This is something special and something different. Yeah, it's a 100% a different cigar. It was meant to be just, a like, a new expression of Arikaza. And I, I even made sure to tell people that it was not going to be your, your normal Arikaza. So, because I didn't want people expecting it to taste like, you know, even like the Bellicosa Fino, which would have been a, the closest size to it. Um, it's definitely, a, definitely a different animal, stronger and uh, higher priming. So how did you come up with the packaging for that cigar? Cause we kind of noticed, you know, you had it in a box, but it was kind of in a, a bundle inside. Yeah. The clear, know. the clear Mazo. Yeah. Yeah. Originally it was going to only be in a bundle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I convinced Jaime to, to make, you know, what well, I think it was like 4,000 boxes. Um, the 10 count right boxes here. are, are not easy to make. Uh, they're, they're, they ended up taking just as much time as making a, a 20 count or a 25 count, uh, cabinet. Um, but I, I just wanted, I wanted that cigar to be special and I thought the bundle was kind of you know, pushing it backwards. And I wanted to make sure that it had that box for, so it was helpful for the shelf display also. One of the so things- yeah, all those cigars were packed in bundles. And then after the fact, I said, Hey, can we put them in boxes? I, I, I bet they just love when you throw curveballs at them like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a little. One of the things that we, uh, that Ben and I also noted, now th- these aren't that old, right? I mean, they were released earlier this year, obviously. Uh, yeah. Ben and I had smoked four before the show, and then that was our fifth one that we had smoked on the show live earlier this week. And him and I both noted that in that time, this was our, this was our, this was our best one in terms of everything. So it was like aging uh, extremely well. So we're really, we're actually going to put them. Ben and I both talked about this. We're going to both put the, the remaining five away. Um, we'll actually have a box and a half, essentially. We're going to both put them away for a little bit longer just to see what it does. But, Pete, you have you have this exceptional, I would say, t- talent. And I know you don't want to take credit for it. You and Pepin have this exceptional talent of a lot of your cigars in particular, specifically Tatawahe, 
where they do this. They perform extremely well off the shelf. That's why you have, you know, obviously so many fans and, uh, and have all the deserved acclaim that you've gotten, but these, your cigars also age incredibly well too. I mean, do you, do you look for that? Is that it just, is this, it can't all be coincidence. I mean, that's extraordinary luck of all your cigars being able to do this. No, I mean, we, we build them to smoke right away, but we also build them to age the way that they're the strength levels that we put into these cigars are meant to age gracefully over time. But I, I equate it to wine and I, I say this a lot and I use this analogy a lot. When you get a, a bottle a brand new bottle of Bordeaux, you know, you can drink it because there's good juice in the bottle, but you know, it's going to age gracefully. And eventually over the years that you let it sit down, it's going to, it's going to marry more together and just eventually become this, you know, elegant flavor bomb. And that's the same way with, with, with cigars for me. And especially with what we do, it, it, the start really is the magic that Pepin and Jaime do with the tobacco and making sure that it's properly fermented and properly cured before it gets put into a cigar. So again, it goes back to the wine analogy if you put good juice in the bottle, you can drink it now, but you can also wait down the road and, and enjoy it later because it will age beautifully. So we, we go in with clean tobacco. We want to make sure we can smoke them right off the bench. And that's what we do. We're smoking them literally off the bench to make sure that they're, they're clean. The only thing that you, you end up having to push through, uh, when you're smoking a cigar fresh off the bench is that you know there's a moisture content in that cigar that still needs to wick out but you want to make sure you want to make sure that there's the balance in that cigar so when it does eventually bleed out all that excess moisture it will just be it should just be gold after that so that kind of the, the T110s, the SE 2002, uh, 2022, I did it again, um, kind of also led way to a great early success from earlier this year as well, which was the Cojetes, which mm -hmm. you brought in. Um, a very unique size. Um, I mean, what, would you characterize that as a, like a petite Robusto or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, petite the, Robusto, short Robusto. The Capus. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's a four by 50. I, I do the four by 15 a lot of, a lot of mm -hmm. size. Yeah, I was going to say, it's lines, a popular obviously. size for you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, short Robusto would be a good format to, to call it. Um, I, I just do, I, I, love, I love short cigars. Mm -hmm. I think Ben was talking about how he likes them also. Um, because I, I like the choices over the time. And sometimes if, I'm, if I know I'm going to go in smoking a bunch of cigars, I want to be able to, you know, go from flavor to flavor to flavor. Right. And when you're smoking a very big cigar, it, it I, I just, for lack of better words, it, it, you know, sometimes it could get kind of like, I want to move on. I, I, I have a little bit of like that, you know, I want to get on to the next thing type of, you know, vibe. So sometimes I get a little bored in the sense that I want to move on to the next. And I hate putting down a cigar before I nub it and I nub every cigar. There's a very few times where I don't like, you know, burn a cigar down to, you know, that size. Um, because I, I truly believe that, that the tobacco is special and I don't want to waste it. So 
when I, when I make smaller sizes, I can get through those quicker and then move on to the next flavor. Well, to equivocate it to wine again, what I like about these last two, the T110s, the Cohetes, and, and, and by no short margin either, the, the, the Tuxlas as well, you can have flights. Yeah. You can, you can enjoy them in flights. You can, I, and I did that actually with the Cohetes, and I, I have to say I really, I really enjoyed that experience, smoking all three in one sitting essentially, not at the same time, but like in succession, and um, maybe could have done it. At well, the same it's time a great, me. it's a great teaching experience. You know, uh, you know, it's a great learning experiment. Uh, also like when you, when you taste those same cigars, the same internal fillers, same internal binders with a different wrapper, it's, it's a way to, to teach your palate of like what you like more about one over the other. Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's a good thing to teach people about tobacco in general. So Ben, when you know, because I know you're a fan of both of these cigars, and I know they're 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 completely different and everything. But the T110s and the Cohetes, what what did you like about them? What what did, what uh, separated them for you specifically? I know you've been smoking Tatawahe for longer than me, um, and but from a from a fan standpoint, you you appreciate Pete's and the Pepin's blending style. What was it about these two projects and the the love for shorter cigars that really brought the lover out in you? Well, I've always loved, you know, the smaller cigars, not only just, you know, in length, but also I like small ring gauges too. But I really I enjoy like a petite Robusto a lot, right? So like the T110, like, and I was about to bring this up, like I, I really love the T110. It's, got, it's kind of a nostalgia thing with me too with the T110s. But what I found interesting between when I was smoking the T110 the Cojete, um, the T110 to me has got it's just like a little bit more of a powerhouse than the Cohete, right? And when I and I, I, I smoke those lights as well, so I would I smoked those back to back to back when I first got them, both both of them, right? The T110 and Cohete. And what I thought interesting was like on the T110, my least favorite of, the, of it was the Sumatra, where the Cohete, my favorite was the Sumatra. You too, you know. It was, it, it, it was just, it just had, what I like about like the Cohete is probably like if I had to choose one or, you know, the other, I like the Cohete more than a C-110. And that one, it just, I don't know, man, there's something about that cigar. It just, it's so flavorful, but it's smooth. I, I always want to say like a more elegant version of like a T-110 or something. You know, I just, I really gravitate towards that. And I, I like the smaller size of it as well. Because I just love smaller, you know, small. You know, we talked about this before, like my favorite cigars sizes, you know, were like Lonsdale's, Corona's, Corona Gorda's. But I really enjoy like the Petite Robusto's or like, you know, the um, the the larger ring gauge, but still short Robusto's. I don't, I don't know what you call those, what the real name of them is, but like the T110 size versus Gohete. I just, I really enjoy, you know, getting cigars that size because they just, they're like little flavor powerhouses, mm-hmm. you know, I just, they, they just, they seem with the smoke so smooth and stuff, you know, and which is, you know, like, like, which is kind of odd because right now I'm smoking the Tuxla Avial. This is my favorite of the Tuxla series, right? Yeah. Mine too. <laughs> you would like, you know, I, I've got them all here because I've, 
you know, the T110 and then the 7th, you know. And this one smokes, I don't, it, which is weird, this one smokes a little bit more lighter to me. I love this in the morning with coffee, 7th. I just freaking love that cigar. But to me, this Avion is something special. It, this is such an elegant smoking cigar, just so smooth and rich flavor profile. You know, well, it's I, I, weird. again, again, Ben, the the uh, like the Cohete series, that's that's modeled after the original brown label blend, uh -huh. just in a different format. So that's where you get that that more of that medium full, you know, body. But there's a light, a little bit lighter feel compared to a T110, which is much heavier in blending mm -hmm. style. And the Avion is much heavier in blending style compared to the seven. And that, that was like a lot of people were confused originally when we came out with those cigars, they thought they were all based off the same blend, but no, they're based off the blend that shows the, pr the primary band. So the seventh is a Brown label just with San Andreas. The Avion is a Avion just with San Andreas and the T110 is a new version of the T110 in San Andreas. So they're based off of the actual blends that those cigars came in. And I think that's why a lot of people leaned, if they didn't want that powerhouse, a lot of people did lean towards the Coete because it's a little bit more approachable, mm -hmm. even though it still has a ton of flavor. Yeah, what I like, something about the, 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 the T110 Tuxla was when I first smoked, I was like, damn, this thing, you could tell it has some pop, but that wrapper adds that like that nice sweetness to it. That's just it seems to like do you it it almost smoked like a like a little bit rough in a good way if that makes sense, like a little bit of, of extra body pop to it, but that sweetness kind of kind of reined it in with that wrapper. It was it was freaking awesome. Like I don't know, I I, I, had, I guess I had a preconceived notion when I went into the T110 how it should be like the originals, but there's something with this wrapper. It just, it works. Like this is my favorite T110 now yeah. over all the other ones. That's why I, again, that's why I love, I love using different wrappers to, and it, it, it kind of makes our job a little easier because we're, we're giving a blend that is already in the factory, like a, just a new expression. And, when people get to try that, they get to learn more about why San Andreas does something to the cigar over Sumatra or over Habana or over, you know, Broadleaf. So it's, it's nice. Uh, again, it helps people kind of train their palates. So now, why? Uh, uh, go ahead, Bear. No, no, please, Ben, go ahead. I was going to say, like, on, on the, on the Tuxla specifically, why did you choose these three? to showcase this wrapper? Well, I, I was looking for, for cigars that had, you know, different, you know, expressions to them in general. And, you know, the, uh, the T110 and the Avion blend are pretty close to each other. Not exact, but pretty close. But the way the Avion 13, which has always been probably one of my favorites in the lineup with Broadleaf, I just thought it was a perfect way to jump into the Avion uh, series with that Tuxa blend because I, I truly fell in love with the, the wrapper on that blend. Uh, I don't know what it is about that cigar, but I, I keep on gravitating to it more and more than I do the other ones. Uh, 
Um, the seventh, we, you know, we already had the Sumatra and the Broadleaf and the Habano in the seventh. So it was perfect to come out with a San Andreas version to show its, you know, new expression and show people how, again, the wrapper will change the cigar. The T110, it was obvious too, because we had already done the other three. And, and I actually went through a few other wrappers during that time to see maybe we do a Corojo one, maybe we do a Connecticut one. Connecticut is kind of tough with that blend, uh, but the Corojo works really nice. So you might see a Corojo one come down the pipeline later on, but not not anytime real soon. Well, we maybe see a Fausto at Folkslow. Well, yeah, um, we thought about that also, but we liked um, the idea of using the Fausto blend, which is in the Avion anyways. So it's there already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've done I've done a Fausto with San Andreas before though for Italy, so I didn't want to repeat that right away. Um, I don't know. There's there's a few things like this pork tenderloin with the with the San Andreas for the Tuxla series next year um, is going to be really cool. I think people will really enjoy that. And then there are a couple things that we're we're considering for the Tuxla lineup. I mean, obviously, Cohete came into mind because that's an easy one for us to jump into. But it's really trying to find the right, the right blend that works with that San Andreas, and that was another reason why we picked those blends because they we found that they did work well with San Andreas. Because sometimes I feel San Andreas can overpower a a cigar uh, if you're not careful. So I wouldn't put San Andreas on, let's say, a Caballon, because I think it will overpower the blend completely, and all you'll taste is the San Andreas. A little too nuanced. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we did with uh, Negotiant, because Negotiant, one of the binders of San Andreas, and I've talked about this before, when we did the first three sizes, it was really easy to have that blend put together in those three sizes, because they're all kind of bigger, you know, not bigger ring gauges, but, you know, 50s and 52s, 48s. So they carried the San Andreas binder really well. And again, we use two binders on all the cigars. So uh, the, the San Andreas uh, binder in those is more of a, you know, Viso binder as, you know, that, that, that extra nuance of, to negotiate. But as soon as we made the small one, the number four, which is, it's a 46, but it's a shorty. That that binder actually was too powerful for the cigar, so we actually had to lower the priming of the binder to make sure it actually sat in the line well without being, you know, where the San Andreas took over the blend completely. Not to go too far, far back here, Pete, but like the the Tuxlas, for example, and the Cohetes are, for the time being, regular production. Um, but the T110 uh, Redux was uh, a limited edition. Is that correct, or or special edition? No, sorry the the T110 the T110 or the Cohete. The Cohete we haven't come out with the Tuxla version yet. No, no, uh, the the releases. So that the 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 T110s that you released last year and the yeah. Cohetes are this year. Right, and the Cohetes and the Tuxlas this year they're both regular yeah. production though. Correct. No, oh, no, no, 
Okay. The, My apologies. The, the only thing that you might see, we might eventually put the seventh out. You know, these are also ways for us to test, you know, to see what people gravitate towards. Uh, I would obviously, if I had my choice right now and I wanted to bring out a full production version of it, I would probably do the Avion because of the way I, I like it so much. Okay. Yeah, but, please, do, please do that. Yeah. But the seventh, <laughs> I believe that there's enough boxes out there that you can probably find them pretty fairly easy. But the seventh we found fits in the lineup uh, really well because we, you know, we have the other wrappers in the seventh already. So that was, that was probably our first choice to bring out as a regular production if we do come out with it on a regular production level. But right now it's purely limited. We made 2000 boxes of uh, the seventh and 2000 boxes of the, the Avion 13 and 4,000 of the, the T110. So okay. you won't see those again until we decide whether or not we're going to put out maybe the seventh as a regular part of the portfolio but for now we're just looking for other expressions of san andreas that we can pop that wrapper on i mean you might see you might see a veracool uh tuxla uh that might be kind of fun obviously you might see a belonk in a tuxla series oh now we're talking yeah i mean that that's probably one of my first choices because it, it kind of falls in line with the brown label blend, but that I love I love the Britannica shape. Obviously, uh, you're going to see a lot more of those Britannicas come out in the sense of uh, special editions because we we just like the size, and it, it kind of puts us into that that size that uh, that we all kind of enjoy too because we 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 do smoke a lot of smaller cigars. Now, are the yeah. Corvette, is this same model too, or are they regular production? No, no, Cohete is the same thing. Same Actually, thing. originally, originally the Cohete Habano was a kind of a semi, you know, annual production that no one really knew about, and uh, we would make enough boxes to supply a few retailers that knew about it. One being Mark from Tower uh, Cigars up in Sacramento, California, because that's where I made the original Cohete for, and we decided that they would eventually be part of that, that small batch release that would show up every so often. Okay. So yeah. yeah, all of them are going away. Okay. Yeah. So small batch, more like uh, limited production, not necessarily limited edition on the Cohetes. Back then they were limited production. Yeah. Now, now it's truly a limited edition because we basically took them off the, off the price list and now they're just a like a one and done type of project well we see like every year a, a new tuxla series coming out is it going to be yeah i mean again again the pork tenderloin tuxla is coming out next year and there will be one other cigar that i can't tell you what it is yet but uh, there will be one other cigar in the portfolio that comes out in the tuxla for next year what it seems um yeah, I know, but I, I know this is I know this is not Coop Show, but it is a tease. It's just I don't want to talk about it yet. I mean, we still have a lot of product to come out before the end of the year that I I kind of want to give those things their space for a while. Now, look this this thing this Avion coming out as regular production 
uh, that would get the uh, Cigar Coop Coalition uh, stable approval. For I love yeah, that cigar. Right? Um, I, I don't know what it is. It, and that's a bigger cigar. It's a longer cigar. It, it will last you a lot longer. But I think it changes a lot as you smoke it. I, I agree I, with that. I will tell you, when I was in the factory earlier this year smoking them out of the production, that's the one I kept on going back to. Like, I just kept on going back to it. Aside from smoking a ton of the Veracu Blue, that's if I wanted something with a lot of flavor and a big flavor bomb, I was going, I was going straight to the Avion. Yeah, I've caught myself doing the same thing. Like, when I, because I got, so I bought a fiber of each one. Because I knew it was going to get at least one box, but I was like, okay, which one am I going to get? And yeah. it's just like, and I, honestly, going into it, I figured it would be the T110. But more I smoke, I just keep going and grabbing the Avial every time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, because the T110 has this notoriety to it, people are going to assume that it would be the T110. And again, we made a lot more T110s than we did the, the Avion. We made double of uh the avion so i'm sure i'm sure they're out there you can you can definitely find them i'm sure jay davis has some stash away uh, they call oh, yeah. Call up. oh yeah so we uh we can't we had this interesting question come up on the uh the round table okay so i have to i have to stop real quick Jay Davis, stop with the barber pole shit. There's never going to become a barber barber pole cigar out of out of the factory. I'm just telling you straight up, it will never happen. <laughs> Sorry, his, we, his we just don't do barber pole. Question dreams. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, we, we just we just don't do barber poles. I think Jaime and Pepin would probably kill me if I requested a barber pole, anyways. So pretty cool idea though, Cabaguan and Fausto. Would be kind of fun, but yeah, I get you. Yeah, but essentially, you're not really making. You're making one or the other. You're just putting the wrapper in between the other wrapper, so you're not really making one or the other. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to you have to pick one blend and make it a barber pole because it'd be it'd be impossible to transition from a Kabaiwan to a Fausto. <laughs> like, could you imagine every time the wrapper turns? You change from a strength of a Kabaiwan to a Fausto, you know, it's like it's literally virtually impossible. Be crazy. So, so Pete, we were ha- we had this interesting question come up on um, the roundtable earlier this week, and we thought it would be really great to ask you the same thing. It was it was it was actually me who posed the question, and I think you are you would be the authority to ask on this. And, and here's how I phrase the question: Has so think of think of the journey of of cigars and the journey of different tobaccos as a as a as a trek up a mountain, right? So obviously, you know the metaphor of the peak being the apex, and then on the other side of it being over the hill, whatever other additional metaphor you want to throw at it. So my question was this, you know, especially what they talk about the the, the shortages of it. It's harder to it's harder to get unless you're you, you're, you're tied into, you know, factories and have a steady supply of it like you happen to be. But I know you've had your own struggles with Broadleaf in particular. Has, has Broadleaf reached its peak in terms of blending? Has, has enough people dove into Broadleaf, come up with their own vari- variation of blends, yourself included, 
to where it's like broadleaf is pretty much exhausted. There's nothing new that can be done with broadleaf. Uh, well, I mean, the only time that, that uh, I would say that anybody did anything new with broadleaf, and I actually thought I was paying homage to an old cigar, but I, I come to find out I was not. When I did a 100% broadleaf cigar with La Casita Criolla, that, that I thought was an homage to old Connecticut River Valley, you know, uh, cigars where they would have this, this marking on the box that says 100% USA broadleaf, but it wasn't 100% USA broadleaf. It was, they were talking about the wrapper. The, the cigar actually was a blend. Oh, I interesting. Thought, I thought when I was younger, I was smoking these cigars like Judges Caves and Money Makers and stuff like that. The way they were, the way they tasted, they were so pungent with that broadleaf flavor that I thought they were 100% broadleaf. And then I found out from uh, one of the guys that made them back in the day, uh, Topper, actually. And he's like, yeah, they weren't. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, <laughs> I thought I was, I thought I was paying homage to this, but he goes, no, nah, dude, like nothing was 100% broadleaf. So doing that with La Casita was kind of a, you know, a new thing. But I would say I don't think I don't think that really much can be done with broadleaf to where people go. And the only thing that we've done, you know, over the years, we've done some cigars with lower priming broadleaf, and people were like confused by it because they would see the lighter shade of broadleaf and go, "Well, that's not Maduro." And I'm like, well, not all broadleaf is Maduro. Right. Like Maduro's a color for us, obviously. So when you're talking about putting a, a lower priming that's more rosado in shade, like the the bride or even La Riqueza, the original La Riquezas were a little bit lower priming. They people got confused because they're like, well, it's not Maduro. I'm like, well, broadleaf doesn't have to be Maduro. You know, Maduro, you get Maduro in color as you let the tobacco sit for a longer period of time. So it gets darker and darker in color. But uh, so some people could call it a process because it takes longer in processing to get to the, to achieve that color. But uh, I don't know. I mean, people have used Broadleaf for, for fillers, which we've used Broadleaf for fillers in multiple blends. We've used Broadleaf for binders. Um We've used broadly for wrappers. So, I mean, like right now we have a, a cigar that's got um, a little bit of broadleaf in the wrapper binder and filler. And then it's got Nicaraguan tobacco to fill in the, the, the gaps, which is La Duena. Mm -hmm. And La Duena is more of that, you know, more of that rosado shade most of the time. Sometimes you get a, a box that's a little darker here and there because, you know, not every, not every wrapper is going to look the same color. I think the maroon label really helps that too. Like with that, that, that Rosado shade that you're talking about, cause it makes it look darker. It just pops with that label. It just looks, and it, that cigar. No, so I mean, rich. There's a question for you guys. Do you think I'm curious because I don't believe that, that there's much more with Broadleaf that, that hasn't been done. Like, I think it's, I think everybody's done something with Broadleaf and there's a lot of great Broadleaf cigars out there. Um, I don't, I don't know what else I would do with Broadleaf to, to show people what Broadleaf's about. I mean, what do you think? And I'll let you go first. You had some thoughts about this earlier this week. Yeah. So I thought that it's 
not it's not at the peak yet, not at the apex. Because to me, I kind of equated it as like a making you know a recipe, right? I figured there's a lot more recipes out there that you could use broadly with that maybe hasn't been done yet, or different tweaks, you know. Yeah, that I mean, maybe maybe here and there, but the, I mean, when we did the, you know, we've done cigars where we put broadleaf in the filler to give it a little bit of sweetness. Um, so that's we've done that, and I'm sure other people have done that multiple times. Broadleaf again was used for a binder for multiple years by a lot of companies, mm-hmm. and then obviously wrapper. I I don't know the recipe part. Yeah, I'm sure there's people out there that are going to come up with a new recipe, but it's it's just going to be nuances. Uh, I think there's a there's always room to play, but I don't think there's many things that haven't been done yet. That's and that's kind of what I was talking about when I posed the question to the panel earlier this week. Was just like I like I don't think it's hit its peak. Like I don't think it's over the hill. Like it's not. Like oh, we're so far gone from it. It's we're just throwing oh, shit at the wall. And no, it's nothing no, like that. yeah. No, not I, at all. I just think it's further up the hill, like using this metaphor of the mountain trek, right? I think it's further up the hill than than other than other wrapper leaves, just because there's so many varietals. Cause like like a couple of things were thrown out, for example, like, well, what about what about Corojo? I'm like, well, which Corojo are we talking about? Like there's there's so much there's so much varietal there that you can I think there's so much more room with some of these other leaves. Like people have tried taking Connecticut broadleaf. And growing in other places, they've tried Nicaraguan, Pennsylvania. You know, now there's a the Alec Bradley well, has a Honduran broadleaf, right? Now right. you're talking about a different thing, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm Bro- interested. I talk about broadleaf as, as as a purist, and that's what I meant. Broadleaf. Yeah, and that's what I meant when I posed it to the panel. So, it was just like, yeah. So when you're talking about people taking Connecticut seed and growing it, you know, in Nicaragua or Honduras. Yeah, that's a new expression of broadleaf. So, yeah, there's unlimited chances to do things there. Uh, it's just, you know, people are going to have their own, own you know, vibe on it. And uh, with Alec Bradley doing a, a broadleaf out of, out of Honduras, which is really cool. And then, you know, there's a bunch of people growing Connecticut broadleaf in Nicaragua. We just... You know the Garcia the, the Garcia family doesn't do that. We use just pure Connecticut broadleaf. So it, for us, we probably won't do it. So maybe our peak is done. We'll continue to make broadleaf cigars, obviously, and I think they'll still be very popular. Um, but I don't know if we'll be coming up with some crazy new concept of broadleaf outside of what we already do. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? Um... One of where we'll, I'll use this as lead into some one of one of the cigars that you announced at the trade show this year. But like you know, two of my top five cigars this year coming out of the trade show were uh, was the Viroku Blue, which we'll get into in just a moment. But it was also the Maria Lucia, which was a broadleaf cigar from Ace Prime that Luciano Mirellis had put it. And we, that that to me is it. And I'm I'm be interested to see if you ever smoke that. What your thoughts are because there there are tobaccos in there that, uh, to my knowledge. And you can feel, please feel free to correct, correct me that I don't think you've ever used with paired with broadleaf specifically the one that I'm thinking of is Peruvian. There's Peruvian in the filler. Um, well, yeah, I, I've, I've tasted Peruvian tobacco. I've tasted a lot of cigars with Peruvian tobacco. I've just never had a, a, a thought process to use it. 
but the, the blend itself is actually really interesting. I, I really enjoyed that cigar uh, particularly, but yeah, it was an interesting question to post to you. Uh, Cause I, I mean, you know, for a lot of what we talked about also on the show to you, I think we think, you know, continue you to be authority on this, on this particular topic when it comes to genuine U S well, property. far from an authority, but uh, <laughs> I, I just like what I like. <laughs> I don't feel but like I'm actually curious. Too. I'm actually curious to see what uh, Luciano did with that cigar. I really enjoyed it. I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it as well. Um, but the, uh, I mean, to, moving toward the trade show, uh, you had um, a number of cigars. We talked about the, uh, the, the, uh, the pork tenderloin that was announced with the Tuxla. That was really well received. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then another cigar, the Roku blue um, was also really well received by all of us on the panel uh, of the, the, the coalition. Ben really loved it. Coop really loved it. Aaron did as well. And, and I had it also in my top five coming out of the show. Um, what, what's, what, what's the takeaway from this one as opposed to the, you know, obviously the original Roku that you've had on the market for years? Uh, the original one, when we first came out with it, it was a, it was a big hit because it was like a stronger red label. And it was more, I would say more new world styling. Uh, the blue, I, I would say it's it's definitely more of the old world styling. It's uh, got that classic Rojo sweetness to it. It's it actually takes the blend down to a a just a little bit lower strength level to where it ends up being more flavor instead of strength, which I really like. So I would lean it towards you know more old styling, more old world uh, vibe when it comes to a cigar compared to the red label. Uh, Veracruz, which is uh, definitely more new world. Ben, what was it about the uh, the blue that you liked so much? You know, basically, just what Pete said to me it was it was um, kind of a more elegant profile that I enjoyed. You know, it, it had I, I, I don't know I, I seem to get more nuanced flavor out of that than I do the other lines, and is a medium body. So it's right in my wheelhouse. It's like the perfect cigar. So I just, I just like the the flavor profile of that one over the other versions. It just, see, it just seemed to smoke smoother to me. That's what I liked about it. Did you find it to be um, in like in harmony with uh, the other Veracruz, or did you find it to be like its own significant kind of like offshoot to where it could it, it could almost be considered a standalone, Ben? Good question. Um, I almost think it could feel like it could be on its own. To be totally honest, I mean it's it's a it's a decent enough departure to where it could be its own thing. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Mean, yeah, I mean Aaron. I mean we know how he is. He always buys boxes, but like that one, he spoke bad. <laughs> I, 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 as soon as he got home, I think it was the first box he ordered. I think, yeah. show, you know, I believe so. I believe that's correct. Yeah, I mean it's it's for me too. Like <laughs> Jay Davis wanted me to buy the fifty count box, but I have nowhere to put a fifty count box. That's just too big. I could probably smoke through it though pretty quick though, because that that was one of my top cigars at the trade show. It was just it just hit every level of what I look for in a cigar. It was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm really in love with it, and I I think what you said. It's kind of, for me, it's a total standalone because it does change it up enough 
to where it just shows a new side of it completely. And I had two comments on that, Pete. The, the first one was, I've always, I've long said this, even before the trade show, that the, uh, the Veracruz, to me, has always kind of been this under, very underrated, unsung hero of your portfolio. I actually like it when you say it, Veracruz, because that's how it's actually supposed to be pronounced. But I, okay. I just kind of dumbed it down as Veracruz because. Okay, it, thank you. Yeah, Sean, Sean Miles got mad at me in the chat. So I was like, okay, I'll no, correct, yeah, I, can, if, I can learn. I can correct myself. Here we go. So yeah, because I was, was like correct. saying, I, I was well, like, because you, okay, it's, it it's actually it's it's more like Beroku. But who's gonna Beroku. who's gonna put their NPR voice on every time they say a cigar name? You know, like Beroku, <laughs> Bero, Bero, Beroku. You know, like it, 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 dude. I honestly, I ask my wife sometimes, am I like say it so I can hear it? Because I've been saying it as Veracu for so long that that it it's definitely not the exact way to pronounce it, especially if you hear a Cuban person pronounce it. Well, there you go, Sean Miles. You can suck it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, but but I've long I've long since said that this line in particular has been like this unsung hero, this this underrated line in your portfolio, Pete. And it, it, it you know obviously it's been successful for you, but I, I feel like it for whatever reason, and this obviously just is my personal opinion. And like I just felt like it was it was, it was just didn't ever get what it deserved. And I feel like this is, this is, even though this can be a standalone, I have a comment about that here in a second. The blue is going to elevate the rest of the line to where it's going to, it's going to be an absolute killer for you. Um, I mean, what, what I, I agree. I agree completely. Um, again, it just shows it a different, a different side of it. Um, but again, the, the, that, that line started with a bang. It was a banger when it first came out, and then we kind of discontinued it. Well, we didn't discontinue it. It was actually a a limited release originally, and then we came out with the Tubos, which were another limited release. And then eventually, uh, Holtz came to me, and they wanted to do that blend in the number nine, which is a great little Rothschild size. Um, and that became like a house cigar for them for years. And eventually I was like, you know, I want to bring out that line as a whole thing because I really like that blend. And I eventually took away the number nine from them and I came out with one through six, you know, with number five being the little guy because we had that out for a while too. And then, uh, then we added the nine in there. A ton of those. And, and eventually the, the whole point eventually was like, okay, we're going to come out with a, a seven and an eight, which we're, we're never going to do. Um, I don't think because honestly with this, with this blue line, now I have people asking me to do it in the number three size, which is the long Corona Gorda. Well, so there you go. That, there you go, Ben. Yes. Yes, please. Yeah. That, that's a possibility. Um, and then, you know, I, I think originally we, we thought about, okay, let's come out with four of them, one through four. And I wasn't 100% sure about the three. Um, but when I made samples of this line, I actually made it in every size that we already have them in. And I smoked through all the sizes. I just decided I wanted to kind of pay tribute to the original two sizes, which was the one and two, and start with there and kind of go into it slowly. And man, did I, I'll tell you, I undershot that one way too far. Like, 
I had X amount of boxes being made. Again, these are regular production. I had X amount of boxes being made, but when I told the factory, I said, listen, I don't know how the trade show is going to be, so I want you to send me X amount now, and then a month from you know that time, I need you to send me the other amount. And I got out of the show with another order for another 700 boxes of each size. And then three days ago, I just put another order in for another 750. Because the back orders we have on that cigar already are ridiculous. And I know that once I finally get through all those back orders, I'm going to need some inventory to sell because it's a regular production. So we're, we're really far behind on that one. Um, but luckily the factory's making them slowly and they'll be out when they come out, but it is a regular production product. So my other comment about the Roku blue was this, and this was another topic that came up on the panel the other night was how like Pepin cigars and specifically in the case of what we're talking about tonight, Tatuaje is that a lot of them have this, what we call signature to it. It's, it's this, this, this flavor, or this aroma that you can you can you can pretty much decipher a lot. You know the blends change; they're all very complex and different, of course. But everyone has that kind of signature that we were talking about. But there's three cigars in particular, two which are yours that kind of have that lack. That when I say lack, it means it's, it's just completely standalone. That's why I was saying I asked Ben the question. The Roku Blue has that complete different offshoot. The other one was the Fonseca that that mm-hmm. Pepin did that's completely unlike any other my father's cigar. And then the other one that's yours is the Escasos, which is Ben's, yeah. Ben's favorite. So um, I love ben, that cigar. Ben, how do you feel about that as a, as a fan of Pepina and specifically tonight for tonight's purpose of discussion, Pete cigars, like how, how do you feel about those two compared to a lot of the, the cigars that have that signature that we talked about? The Escasos, or which one I was replying and to. And the, the Verocco Blue. Oh. And the, and the Fonseca. And the yeah. Fonseca, yeah. Yeah, those, I, it's it's weird, too, because I never really thought about it until Jay made a comment just a minute ago about it. Like, that's what I've been smoking the most the past two years are those three. I can't tell Jay could probably tell you, but every time I went to his shop, that's what I was grabbing with the Escasos. I've, I've smoked a ton of those cigars, man. That, it's that is such a beautiful cigar to smoke, amazing blend. And to me, it seems almost unpepine like, if that makes sense. Like, you know, it, it, does, it doesn't have that, like the little black pepper in the front with, you know, with really full body, you know. It just, it's, it's so good though. It, it's like right in my wheelhouse. The sizes are fantastic. That's my favorite part. Is it's the sizes that I like, traditional old sizes. It just those that would appeals to me. The Fonseca, man, look when that came out, I was like, I what I didn't know exactly what to expect from that. Right, I was expecting maybe something kind of like the the Pepin Blue Line or something like that, you know. But what what they did with that Fonseca was stunning. I but I had I've had th- the past three days I've had a Fonseca all three days. Uh, what, you know, what's your favorite size in the Fonseca? I the, can tell uh, you mine. I love the, the Cosacos. C- yes. That's the one I smoke. Me too. Uh, every yeah. time. 
I love yes. I love the little tissue wrap one. It's it's got all the flavor I want in a cigar. Um, yeah, I actually I'll, I'll be honest. I've been begging the family to to uh, to let me do a Fonseca um, by Tatuai. So do my own spin on their Fonseca line. Um, just because I love the blend so much that I, I know that I could come up with a really cool fun size that uh, would really work in that lineup. It's it. I think it's really the, the big key to all those cigars is that all those cigars are hundred percent Garcia product. It's hundred percent Garcia grown tobacco. And I think the family, you know, over the years and, you know, obviously it's 20 years almost that, that uh, we've been in business, but, growing their own tobaccos and then eventually growing more and more of their own wrappers. They've really shown a side to their, their tobaccos and their, to their, their cigar making by utilizing a hundred percent of their own tobaccos. And that, that really makes a huge difference. Yeah. What I liked about it too, is like, it's almost like showing a, a, a great diversity, right? Because, you know, when Pepin first came out with his lines, you know, they all have, you know, what we call Pepin-esque flavor profiles. And, mm-hmm. like, the Fonseca is not that. It's like, it's something like a whole new animal. And yeah. it's it really blew me away how the whole line is really good. The one I gravitated to the most originally was when I, they first came out was the Bellicoso. And that's, Dan Reed was the one that was like, dude, that's the one. Yeah, Yeah, but every time I go to a cigar shop, that was the one that was always missing. So it took me (laughs) a while to get that one. You know, the well, I would say that that because Bellicosos have Bellicosos and Torpinos have kind of gone out of fashion for some reason. Uh, I love Bellicoso, Bellicoso Fino sizes, but for some reason, they're they're not as cool as they used to be, and I still think they're they're probably some of the best sizes out there. Yeah, I agree. The, the, uh, the name escapes me with the, the, the cedar wrapped Fonseca. Well, the cedar. Yeah, the cedar. Yeah, the cedar. Yeah. That's, I love that one too. I usually, that one. Yeah, and that's a bigger, that's a bigger ring gauge than what you would normally go for. Yeah, it's a, that's exactly a bigger cigar. 50, 54, yeah. right? Isn't it? Or a little bit smaller? Uh, I think it's a 54. If I remember, maybe a 52. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember the, the exact size of that. Jay, what's the size of the Sager? Yeah. He probably knows. Yeah, I thought it was a 52, but maybe it's a 54. But yeah, that one, like when I go and they, you know, they have the regular lineup, they, you know, that one, I, I, I kind of been grabbing that one lately too. I don't know. I, I don't, I really don't have what one size, like that's my size, right? Because yeah. that, that line is just really, really good, you know? This the Escaso, so I go for the like the lawn sale size. I keep remembering that one. Casadori, yeah, the Casadori yeah, size. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the H, yeah, the H. That's what I find. Yeah. I do was I do was the H. Yeah, that's the one. I probably have burned through many boxes of those, but just going to grab a handful. So when I go when I go to Jay's shop and just grab a grab a handful of those, you know. That's what I told him. I said, dude, I should just buy a box. I don't know why I keep coming here and grabbing like eight or ten at a time. And then be back next week, grab eight or ten at a time. It was, you know, that was that's that's my favorite cigar you put out right now by far. That's that's the one. I just keep gravitating towards that cigar. Yeah, you you'll be seeing 
I mean, you'll be seeing over the next uh, several years, me using a lot more of the family's tobacco, a hundred percent. And obviously the stuff in Miami, should I have uh, one, two, three, four cigars that are 100% their tobacco that haven't, that are just aging. And then I have another like long Corona that's Habano. Um, we use the Coho new wrapper on it, but it's a, it's like a long Corona with a covered foot. And those are pretty gnarly. Uh, those are coming out also in 2023. They're just resting in boxes. I've, I've put them away. They're hundred percent packaged up already. Just date stamp from earlier this year. Some of the stuff is date stamp from last year. Um, like my 50th birthday cigars. Those are all the grow stuff that you're going to start seeing us come out with, but it's, I, I've really found that, uh, I I've, I'm in love with the Corojo and I, and I also like, um, tasting the Corojo as it goes up the plant a little bit, because, you know, as time goes by, we start running out of the lower priming stuff, uh, from the years that we're using it from, and we start moving up into the higher priming stuff, which is a little darker. And that, that just changes the whole aspect of the cigar. I was uh, I was remarking. Ben can attest to this. Uh, the thing about those three cigars is different than the rest of your portfolio and and, and Pepin's. Because every time I smell the foot of one of the cigars, I sneeze. <laughs> and it happened. It happened on the roundtable earlier this week, and I was like, "Oh, there it is. I know. I know." Because I and this actually happened. Someone thought I was full of it. We did a. Is you you're familiar with Pete? We do. Uh, when I was working at Michael's, we did the. Uh, what we called the game, which was someone would take the, the cigar, they would take the label off and you had to smoke it and guess what it was. And, and so someone handed me a cigar uh, once and, and uh, it smelled the foot sneezed. And I was like, well, that narrows it down. I know, I know what factory <laughs> it came out of. And uh, it's, un, it's an uncanny thing. Like, I don't know what it is. It's just something about whatever about the tobacco that just, just makes me have a little, a little tickle of the nose and, and and I'm and I'm off there, but um, but those three I don't. Mean, but you ever you ever smell a, the foot of a Cuban cigar? It kind of does the same thing. I mean, and I, mean, I have. Kinda, I, I'm trying to think. That's kind of that's kind of where we're leaning towards with a lot of this stuff with with the uh, Corojo, uh, especially with the lower priming stuff, is to kind of mimic where we originally started the the brand, where where it was more even driven towards the cat, the classic Cuban styling. And that's why I say that the blue is more old world compared to the red, uh, on the Veracruz. So, so, well, I just wrapped up the, um, the Latilia, uh, Latelier ERB, uh, which smoked phenomenal. That was a really, really enjoyable experience. That was my, that was my first one. Uh, but Pete, I mean, right out the gate, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I was a fan of the Racines as they were coming out each year that you were doing it. But that, that's that's my favorite one. Holy crap, that was really good. Um, Very cool. What was uh, again 100% Garcia grown tobacco? But that's okay. Criollo on the wrapper. That's Criollo sun grown. The and and there's. And I was going to remark upon that because I, I, back in the day when I first started sm smoking and I was trying to figure out which tobaccos I liked and stuff, I remember not being too big of a fan of Criollo. So I had the stigma in my head. And then you came, you started coming out with the Racines and I was like, well, this doesn't 
this tastes good. Like, what's the, you know, but. Well, I mean, the black label is the same as far as the, uh, the, the wrapper goes. It's Criollo Sun Grown. So that, mm-hmm. and, and that's become a staple in the Tantawahi lineup because of its flavor profile is a, definitely a different, uh, a different feel than everything else. And it kind of, that, that label, the black label stands on its own a lot because of its, its style. And that was meant to be more old school. It, how long has it been since you've done something with L'Atelier, like something new? I know that the Racine isn't new, but this, I mean, the ERB is, is first time in a couple of years that you guys have done something under that mark, under that label, correct? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we did the uh, Selection Special on the, uh, on the regular lats, which is the higher priming um, of that leaf, which, you know, of the, uh, of the Sancti Spiritus. So that gives a different nuance to the lineup. We had done Selection Special before, but we, we decided to change up the sizes to the, the three, the three uh, 52, 54, 56 sizes that, that have become so popular for us. So mm-hmm. we kind of – we're kind of trying to get a little bit more focus on the line and we're trying to find what really works uh, and stick with it. But uh, the, the Atelier lineup in general, you won't see much more out of uh, Atelier outside of La Mission or, or uh, the Selection Special or the regular lads. Uh, you might see Maduro come back in some, some way. Um, but, uh, you know, there was talks about maybe doing another Cote d'Or. Uh, but that's a little bit of work or Latash. We've had those both out uh, for limited editions, but we'll see. And if you, that's another thing. If you taste the Cote d'Or now, those things are smoking ridiculous. And when they first came out there, maybe they might have been, for lack of better words, they might have been a little muddy. So they kind of didn't have all the flavors popping. But... I've smoked some recently. I was like, "Whoa, this thing's just changed into a different animal." They did age, and that's the magic well, yeah. of uh, age, you know. Yeah, no, they did age incredibly well. I'm, I, I don't know if money was the way I would have described it, but there, yeah, there was something about the way it aged and how the flavors popped, like you, like you just mentioned, that I really enjoyed uh, the Codor. Um, but it's, it was really good to see the Racine uh, come back for me, and that was, that was a phenomenal experience that I just had. That was great. Um, but then, uh, so celebrating the 10th year of surrogates as well, you guys did the big 10, mm-hmm. um, and that was also, uh, available at the trade show as well. And that's you, um, Dan and KC do that particular, what was, a what was, what was special about the big 10 and what, uh, how did that, uh, fall under, end up falling under the surrogates model, as opposed to some of these, these other projects that you're doing under these other different labels and everything. Well, we made we made uh, surrogates in a three pack for events, and for us, that surrogate blend was actually a sleeper in the lineup. You know, because it, again, it was only for event only product, so like you could only get them if it, you were at a an event with Dan for a while, and it eventually became a thing where Casey would start using them at events also. But we liked that blend so much, we wanted to try it out in a different size and that's where the Britannica came in. That was like this year Britannica was our our limited size that we use for everything. And 
we decided to go a little higher on the priming of the Havano that we use. So it actually gives it a little bit more meat to it, but uh, it, the base of that blend was the, the, the uh, event pack that we did for surrogates. And eventually you'll see a surrogate uh, in that name in that blend called Big Ten, but in a new size. That Britannica size is just fantastic. I'm glad to see that be used more. That's awesome size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you, you heard this, but um, I the molds, we got those molds from a guy that was making molds for Cuba. And eventually those molds started to deteriorate. Like they, they're not wood molds, they're plastic molds, but they started getting banged up in the factory and pieces were breaking off. Uh, my nephew, Jaime's son, um, literally sent me a picture where they're taking the old molds and they're kind of re refurbishing them by mixing wood and the the plastic injection because the the form of the the shape of the molds is perfectly fine but the outer edges were all busted up and we had a bunch of them that got broken I think we had a few sets of those and we ended up with like 15 molds that we had to use for all of them and those those molds are now being repurposed uh, to fix them, refurbished, I should say, where you actually see an outer wood edge with the plastic injection in the middle. And they're all they're doing that all in the box factory. Can you not like remake those molds and make new yeah, ones? We're, we, we've been trying to, but uh, and Handy uh, Jaime's son has been pretty on top of it. He he's the one that's like been back and forth with the mold maker that we use in Nicaragua to make this size, but the guy kept on getting the size wrong and it all had to do with the taper and the way that the foot closed. And it wasn't, it's not a full close. It's actually pretty open. And the guy kept on making like a, a real sharp, you know, point at the, at the head where it was more of like that, you know, uh, RC 184 type of uh, head to, or, you know, mouth, I should say. Uh, but he sent me pictures of uh, some cigars that were made the other day in some new wood molds that he's been playing with, and they seem to be uh, dead on. So, so yeah, we, we've we've been working on it uh, just so we can get more molds in the factory. That's what I was going to ask, and that's a little inside baseball, so to speak. But like the difference between wood and plastic, I mean, is it just is it just an expense thing, or what's the? I mean, is there? Well, the plastic molds hold their form longer. Okay. The, the wood, they get out of shape a lot. And you, you constantly have to make sure you, you kind of hone them out to make sure that there's no tobacco in there. And you always see guys in there scraping them out, you know, scraping out the wood molds with tobacco that's sticking inside the mold because it, it ends up changing the form of the cigar. So mm. they're constantly working in the factory to make sure any wood mold that we still use is refurbished to be able to use for future production. Interesting. But yeah, Peter, I mean, what a, what a fantastic year you're having so far and it's not over yet. I mean, here we are in August to we mentioned at the top of the show, how the Drac Redux is coming and you've got a lot of other stuff coming for this year and in 2023 for your 20th anniversary. Um, what can you tell us about the 20th anniversary? I mean, is there anything uh, that, I mean, a lot of excitement. I know a lot of, uh, obviously all your fans are, uh, and the two guys sitting in, uh, in front of you right now are, are really excited about what's to come. Can you, uh, can you tell us or share anything that uh, 
uh, we can expect to see for the celebration of 20 years uh, in your illustrious yeah, career here? I've, I've talked about it a, a lot, uh, but uh, obviously the, the 50th birthday cigars that I made in 2019 will now finally come out in 2023. They've just been aging in cabins of 50. We made 100 cabins of, of each of them, so not a lot of cigars. And uh, those will eventually come out sometime in 2023, probably closer to the end of 2023, towards my birthday. And then the EL22, which is, uh, I called it 22 because it was, you know, packaged in 2022. But the EL22 is a long Corona with dark Habano on it. And that's, uh, we use the, the same wrapper that we use on Coho News in Miami. That's going to come out along with the EL22, which is the, uh, so I'm sorry, the first one was the RL22, my bad. The RL22 is the Reserva Limited, which is the Long Corona with the Kohonu wrapper. The EL22 is a Escasso's uh, style cigar in a Robusto format. Uh, both boxes of 25, uh, foil packed. Um, the... There's another cigar that's a five and seven eighths uh, by 52, same as the K222 size. And jokingly, in the factory, we didn't have a name for it, so we called it uh, the K223 because they didn't know what to call it. So they they labeled it on the bundles K223, but it's not it's not a K222. Um, it's it's a version of a new blend more along the 15th anniversary. And okay. it is, it's actually labeled with the 15th anniversary bands with the Escasos label, which is using a Corojo 99 shade grown. So, uh, so it does say the 15th anniversary with Escasos below it because it's, that's another scarce project. We made uh, 500 boxes of 10. So not a lot. So that's all coming out next year. Um, and I do have a project that I, uh, I'm working on now, which will be more of a, a longer Corona Gorda uh, out of Miami to celebrate uh, the 20th anniversary. Oh, I can't wait for that. I was going to say ben, yeah. ben, Ben's uh, calculating all the totals in his head. Cigars, And that will be, percent. that will be both. That will be in two shades. That will be in the Corona 99 uh, shade and also uh, the Habano, uh, uh, you know, Oscuro uh, wrapper. So it's going to be, the higher priming on the Habana one, and then the lower priming on the Corojo. So, like wow. the Corojo, you're gonna you're gonna see that Rosado Rosado Claro shade to it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that because uh, not just because of the cigar, but the, the if everything goes right with the packaging, it's it's definitely gonna be one of those historic uh, things for that's why. Now, I will say last year you gave me at the trade show your birthday cigar. I had it on my birthday, which is a couple of weeks after the trade show. I will say unequivocally, that is the best cigar I've ever had you make. Well, that cigar uh, was awesome. And Ben, you you had it uh, in 2021, so they're going to be two years older by the time you smoke it again. Oh, wow. And, uh, and not because they need the age. I just, I'm in no hurry to put them out. It's just something that I that I found that really special about those cigars that I just want to kind of sit on. And that goes with everything. So that, that 500 box of 10, the, what we, what we jokingly called the K223 is, is actually called 
plus one. So spelled out plus one. And that was a, that was kind of a, a play on what Dion is doing with the plus 53s, but he actually has it as plus 53, which was originally done by the original owner of one-off, uh, Andrea Molinari, who uh, created the plus 53 to pay homage to Cuba. And it was the plus 53 was the, the area code for Cuba or the, the country code to Cuba. So oh. the joke with plus one, even though I don't put a plus symbol in one, I, I spell it out plus one was kind of a, a play on that with the, you know, the United States uh, country code. Oh, wow. And you, you and Dion with your numbers, man, always, always getting creative with stuff like that. I love the, I well, love yeah, all the meetings. You'll, you'll, Ben, I know you're, you're, you like shorter cigars a lot of times and you like skinnier cigars, but that, that plus one is definitely right up your alley. Again, it's, it's, it's labeled under the 15th anniversary though. Oh, don't worry. I'll have a box. Believe me. Jay, go ahead. <laughs> Just go ahead and mark it down. Yeah. Luckily it's only a box of 10. So. Be like I we've been saying all show long, and I've been saying all year long. It's been a it's been a banner year for you. Nineteen years in the business, coming up on twenty, celebrating two decades of excellence. I mean, really exciting stuff to come. We're all we're all excited. We're all in, on pins and needles with anticipation. We know you're going to deliver. If this was the nineteenth year, I mean, the twentieth year is only going to be that much better. So we're all really excited. Um, so that, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be busy. Um, but I mean, I think this year. Might be a little too crazy. That's that's why there are certain things that are supposed to come out this year um, that I will probably be pushing back until the beginning of 2023. I'll just say that there are some certain limited editions that were supposed to be here in the last quarter that might push until 2023. I'll be exciting. Sure. They they might they might uh, have the. Uh, trade show organizations uh, in the front of the name. <laughs> oh, okay. Terrific. That leads us to our last two questions for the evening here, Pete. And, uh, and uh, so this, this first one is of course, our, um, our, our latest and newest segment uh, here on LS Fumar takes, which is brought to you by asylum cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in your own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for asylum cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. So the point of this segment, Pete, is that, you know, we, we, we talk about cigars a lot and how, and tonight's show is by no small margin, an example of this, that cigars are very much a community based thing. You've created your own community with the saints and sinners, you know, a very, you know, very passionate group of fans and people even outside that organization that are fans of yours. It's a, it's a community and that's what cigars are about. But every so often we have those moments where it's just us, it's just us alone with the cigar. And it could be listening to, you know, some music. It could be just silence. It can be celebration of a moment. It could be any number of things, but we've probably had several over our lifetime. And so the point of the whole question tonight, Pete, is what, you don't have to remember your favorite one or the biggest one or anything like that, but what's one that comes to mind, a moment where it was just you, a cigar? What were you smoking, if you can remember, and what was that moment about? You're talking about more recently or, or uh, any time? O- open-ended, whatever you want to share. Well, I mean, 
when I was going to Bordeaux uh, a couple times a year, multiple years back, there was one moment where I was sitting uh, on the patio of the the hotel that I was staying at, which actually a, a chateau. Um, not a lot of rooms in this place, but it was owned by the people at Lynch Baj. Uh, and I was able to sit on their patio overlooking this very small vineyard. And I was drinking a bottle of wine. Uh, my wife was with me. Um, stringing a bottle of wine, I think picking at some like nuts and olives or whatever. And then uh, smoking a La Verite. And to me, that was like the reason why I created La Verite anyways. And that was one of those moments. I have a great picture of it. And it, something about just the way the picture turned out. And this is when cameras weren't as, as advanced as they are now. But something, something about that picture just throws me back to that spot every time I look at it. So that, that's always a special moment uh, for me. And I think that's probably one of my most more memorable ones because I was in a very peaceful place uh, and I had my, my best friend next to me. You know, all of your fans know about your, you know, your exceptional taste for wine and, and why it's so special to you. But what is it about Bordeaux specifically that, that created this moment for you? What, what is it about Bordeaux that, as opposed to any other, I mean, there's fabulous wine reasons all over the world. Bordeaux is certainly, uh, you know, obviously at the top of most of this and everything, but. You, honestly, you could put me in any wine region and I would feel the same way. Um, <laughs> I, I like wine. I, mean, right. I just like wine. Uh, Bordeaux happened to be my place of choice because I, I, I got used to going there and I got used to the, the, the vibe there and I got used to driving around there and I, I would get lost driving through the vineyards very happily getting lost without the GPS on because I loved just looking around at all the rolling hills and all the grapevines. It's it just something beautiful about it. But if you put me in Burgundy, I would do the same thing. If you put me in, in the Rioja region, I would do the same thing. If you put me in Australia, I'd probably do the same thing <laughs> if they allow me to smoke there. I was um, going to say, after you paid I, enormous I taxes any, to bring them in. wine region I geek out on, like, I have a, a trip planned that's uh, not 100% planned yet, but I have an invite to a, a winery up in Napa uh, soon that uh, I'm looking forward to. And that's kind of going to be one of those trips uh, with the wife and just a little bit of, you know, relaxation and drinking wine and smoking cigars. Um, yeah. Put me anywhere with wine, with wine grapes. I'm happy. Um, like, dude, I went down to, uh, Santiago, Chile, um, years ago, but I was in, I was in Viña del Mar, uh, with, um, of all people, the Jonas kids, uh, and Casper. And we just finished, they just finished a show at Viña del Mar. And then we were driving from Viña del Mar to Santiago and we went through a wine region. I started geeking out. I didn't even sit down on the bus the whole time. I just stood up and looked at the vineyards as we drove by it. So for me, I don't know. Uh, I think same thing with, you know, going to Italy. You know, you drive through wine vineyards and you just kind of, for me, it's like, it's just peaceful. Yeah, Chilean wines are highly underrated. They make mm -hmm. some fantastic wines there. But I got, I got a question for you. I, I know what the answer is. Old world or new world? 
for wine, I, I'm I'm more old world. Yeah, yeah. same here, yeah. same way. Yeah. I I just I don't know. I think it's it kind of touches the way I do with cigars too. I mean, I do have a lot of new world cigars, but I I really uh, fall in love with the old world styling. And you know, Cuban cigars for me were a big part of my life when I was younger. So, um, obviously, my my love for Cuban cigars disappeared slowly. You know, slowly over the years, uh, the more and more I tried regular production. That's why I still enjoy smoking Cuban customs because I really feel there's like there's something special about you know when one roller is rolling these at their house and the money is going to them and not to a very bad government. So. It's uh, it's the old world styling for me. I, I love in general. I mean, I wish a lot of the factories in the United States could come back because I love the fact that that we used to do so much here in this country with all the all the, the clothing mills that left to go someplace else. It's sad because all these beautiful buildings are just sitting there abandoned. It'd nice. It'd be nice to see a lot of that stuff come back. Absolutely. With all the supply chain issues we've had because of COVID, there is kind of been a resurgence of stuff like that to bring it back home and have factories open here, making all you know, tech, especially the textile industry, you know, and even you know, in my world, in the computer world, bring it, you know, having more chip manufacturing here. At home yeah, that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. going to be a huge deal. I, I don't know. It's like you go even in something as simple as like. I watched a story about this company that's making uh, American flags and they're actually making them here because they found out that the majority of the American flags were being made in China, which made no sense to me. So right. it's actually cool to see people using this, this country to, to build great things. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I love the old world more than I do the, the new world. I'm, I'm, dude, I grew up in a family that did antiques. So I'm really into the nostalgia part. Yeah, I'm a history nerd. We both are, so yeah, yeah uh, we understand that. And that kind of brings up a, a, another question here, Pete. Uh, before we go into our last question of the night, which is you, you're you're, I, and if this is an unfair characterization of it, please forgive me. I'm not trying to, you know, speak for you here, but it almost seems like a, an obsession to homage for you. Um, you know, and everything that you do is, I mean. Is that a fair characterization? You're obsessed with uh, paying tribute to the to the generations past, and yeah, yeah. I, I just I think it was a much simpler time, much more peaceful time. Um, I don't know. It. Uh, I just prefer um, living in the past for some reason. I mean, there are a lot of great memories I've lived through, and. I still kind of gravitate towards those old memories. Not that I, not that I'm saying that I don't have great memories that I'm making every day here. Sure. Um, but uh, there's a lot of great memories that we've even, even the memories with this family over the last, you know, 19 years have been amazing. And the new memories that we're making now are, are great, but uh, there's some fun ones that, that we just keep on reminiscing about. I mean, the thing that I would look, I would love to is get a form of time machine to see this because I, we, we kind of almost half joking do it with you all the time, which is, you know, you, you constantly never take credit. You're always paying tribute to 
you know, your father-in-law and your brother-in-law and the amazing work that they do and it, all the credits deserve, but the, I, I look, I look forward to the day that some, when someone comes along and pays homage and, and it's to you. I mean, I don't know if we'll be alive to see it the way, the way, the way that you've done it, that kind of level of, again, to use that word obsession, I don't yeah. know if we'll ever be alive to see it, but that would be, that would be really great to see. Cause I think what you've done over the last 20 years, Pete is you. And of course your, your, your wonderful family is something that will be. They, someone I, will think, pay I think there's a lot of people, I think there's a lot of people, maybe not about me, but I think there's a lot of people now that, that, that pay that homage to the, the past. I mean, look at, look at a guy like John Huber, he, he, him and I have the same yeah. mentality of, of, uh, you know, the old world of cigars sure. and I would put Dion in that category too, where uh-huh. we're, we're just really into creating things that we remember when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of guys like me in the industry already that, that really, that really love paying homage to the history that came before us. Um, we do it in our own little flair, but uh, I, I would hope that that any newcomer coming out in the industry continues to pay respect to the people that came before them more than anything, because you know this his, this industry was built on a lot of backs of a lot of families, and uh, you can't ignore that, and you can't mm. you can't think that you're going to create this this uh, you know new industry i mean that's that's not possible the cigar industry is is a very simple thing and it shouldn't be made into a complicated thing indeed it, it's funny you mentioned john and dion I, I i know we've gone back to this topic before on on other shows but i i, I still there's still something very magical about and i go back and i read it all the time about the the cigar press article that was done with uh you guys on the cover jonathan drew George Rico, um, I think Dion, you, John, I think that's everybody. Booth, Booth and Matt Booth. Yeah, sorry, Matt, I apologize. Uh, but I, out of that group, it's it, you know y'all have a lot of that obsession, as to, to use the word of the moment. But what I also think is really great about it is that, in, in a way, to turn about my own question from a second ago, you know that. That article was, you know, which wasn't that long ago when you really think about it, even though it seems like a long time ago. Um, I mean, you well, guys we're all were, younger in that picture. Well, you guys were painted as this new, the, the, the young guns, sort of, so to speak, the, the, the new, the new, the new blood. And, and it, in a lot of ways today, like I, I really enjoyed the conversations with all of you this past trade show. I had the opportunity to do that uh, with the exception of Jonathan and there, there is so much tribute to the past and, uh, and, and very, in very different ways, as you were describing just a second ago, and you guys do it with your own flair, as you, as you said, it's, it's, it really is a beautiful thing with what the, the small group of you has done. And then of, of course there's others as well that we're not mentioning, but it's, uh, it's, it's really great to see kind of history shape itself in just the last 10 years or so the way it has. Well, I mean, look at, look at a guy like Jonathan though, because Jonathan, Jonathan's definitely one of the industry leaders and he's got a, a great uh, vibe on, 
on new and, and what's, you know, coming and what, you know, the, the way they promote their brand and everything. But from what I know about Jonathan, I know that he's truly into the culture and the history of how he got to that point. Mm-hmm. He just is able to promote his brand to a different level, but he's still and in a different way, more, you know, more social media aspect, you know, eventually industries have to evolve a little bit, but he still is very focused on the history of where tobacco comes from. I mean, that's what I believe. And I, I'll get him in a, get him in a barn smoker in the barn and hear him talk for five minutes. Yeah. No, exactly. 100%. 100%. There's a lot of, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, newer guys coming into the industry now that are, that they might be looking at a guy like myself or, or Dion or John Huber and, and looking up to us in that, in that, you know, the way that we've also embraced the past They're they're trying to embrace the past that came even before us, but they're also, they also really enjoyed the fact that we were able to do what we did and they kind of maybe not mimic, but you know, they, they do kind of gravitate towards that styling but still pay homage to what came before all of us. You can't ignore it. I mean, again, this is a very simple industry and yeah. Can you, can you do different things to promote your brands and, you know, with social media or whatever and make it more modern? Yes. But you still have to make sure you, you have your core values in in place. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Pete, thank you so much for an absolutely wonderful evening. We have one last question for you tonight. And that, of course, is always our curveball segment. <laughs> um, and it's uh, brought to you by uh, our good friend, Steve Saka, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust curveball segment, fastballs or curveballs. It doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Saka has been knocking them out of the park seven consecutive years in the consensus top three. So, Pete, this one's a little bit more fun. So. It goes back to our original topic tonight, which is uh, your beloved friend, the Rottweiler. Yeah. So if the breed didn't exist, do you think you'd still be a dog lover? I think you kind oh, of yeah. answered this question earlier, but. Yeah, I, I used to take care of Newfoundlands when I was a kid. I had, I, I, uh, I, I like big dogs because I, I like the fact that you can, you know, wrestle with them and, and you know, use them as a pillow and they use you as a pillow. Like, I don't know something about big dogs. They're just big teddy bears in general. Um, and when I was growing up and taking, you know, I had to take care of, uh, my mom's friends, uh, Newfoundlands and those things, those things were gigantic. And then oh, fast forward years, years later, um, my first boss in the cigar industry, his, uh, girlfriend had two big giant Newfoundlands also. So I was used to being around big dogs. Um, Roddy's were, for me, were a good combination of big and small. That bring up, brought up my next question, but I think you just answered it. So would it be, if if the Rottweiler didn't exist, would it be Newfoundlands for you, do you think? Or just uh, just another big dog you'd probably gravitate towards? Yeah, I, I like... Um, so I grew up in my household in Maine. My parents always had uh, uh, Springer Spaniels or uh, Brittany Spaniels. 
So spaniels were already, you know, bigger, medium-sized dogs were already around me. I always loved the spaniels, um, but I gravitated more towards, you know, uh, St. Bernard's and and big, <laughs> I don't know, big fluffy dogs for some reason. Um, Shetland sheep dogs. Yeah, maybe not sheep dogs. Those are a little too messy for me. <laughs> <laughs> my my dad um, had those growing up in Maine. He had Shetlands. Yeah. I mean, they're I, like I don't know if I would ever go for what was it the the Irish Wolfhound. That's a that's an <laughs> interesting looking dog. It's it's gigantic, but I think I think dogs in general. I mean, they they all have good souls. Um, I don't know if I would gravitate towards pit bulls, even though I like them. I like a blue nose pit bull, uh, but. I think the one thing that gravi- you know makes me gravitate to Rottweilers is because they kind of look like clowns. Their faces, their the, with the the markings, they kind of have this clown character to it, and, and they are goofy dogs. If you ever um, get around a, a Rottweiler for a long period of time, you start realizing they're just kind of goofy. They're 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 definitely clowns. So it's it's a you can see their their mannerisms and you're just like, okay, this, this dog is way too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Pete, I, and plus again, I love them. What I love about big dogs real quick. What I love about them, sure. is they don't understand that they're that big. That's yes. what I love about them. Yes. Cause they yes. always sit on your lap. Like they're, they're, you know, like a miniature dog and they don't understand their size. So when you have a Newfoundland sit up on top of you, you're just like, okay, this is not supposed to be happening. <laughs> Well, our, our mutual friend, uh, Brandon Payne from Michaels, he's got two big, great Danes and, and Ben, Ben was with me at uh, Michael's tobacco of Keller, uh, one night before he, he moved to North Carolina Remember that thing just, just sat in my lap. Like it was like a a toy poodle, man. That thing was awesome. Uh, I think that was Winston. Uh, man, those dogs are beautiful. Love, love them. Love big dogs. Love dogs. Love them. Sean, Sean Miles still is asking for a F1 segment. <laughs> well, that's yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna get to that right now. So Team Red Bull or Team Ferrari? You gotta pick one. I, I gotta go Red Bull. What? I you know what the one I think the one disappointing thing about Red Bull is that you don't associate it with a car company. True. And it would be cool to have them, you know, be associated with a car company, but of course they're team Red Bull, right? I, I, I like Checo a lot and I, I do like Max a lot. Um, Ferrari, they make beautiful cars. They make horrible decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they can't make power boxes apparently either. So, <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah. Um, as far as the history of Ferrari and, the fact that I was able to take a tour of the Ferrari factory that showed me a different light on Ferrari as a company. Um, the brand is just so beautiful. I mean, it is like, and the factory is probably one of the cleanest places I've ever been in. I mean, aside from Jaime and Pepin's factory in Nicaragua, uh, I would put those two factories as two places I would eat off the floor. Yeah, it's kind of well known that I'm a, I'm a Mercedes Padronas fan, but I have to admit, like I really love Landon Norris. The McLaren team is a really good, well-run team, 
You know, I was kind of I kind of until, until they can't figure when to box or not. That's yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Were you surprised they've not really fired Daniel Ricardo, but they dismissed him early? I, I'm disappointed more than anything. I think Daniel, he's not a bad driver. He's better than half the grid. Um, and plus, I think Daniel has the personality to to bring. And this kind of goes into the business side of it. He, Daniel has that personality to bring business to a team. So why they would get rid of him doesn't make sense to me at all. I don't know. Maybe they have a driver that they want to bring up from a, a lower tier. Yeah, but, they do. Uh, it's the I think, Italian guy. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Oliver Fittari? He's like he won, I think he won F2. He's a okay. FD championship. So that they're basically sense. they're fighting over him with Alpine. And the funny thing is, he Alpine said, "Oh yeah, he's driving for us next year." He's he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have a oh guy that guy. kid." Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now he's talking. They're talking about he's going to go to McLaren, and Ricardo is going to take his spot now at Alpine. Well, I hope Daniel will end up someplace because I think he deserves a seat for sure. Oh yeah, he's he's too good to not to not run. And he he said, "There's no way he's not done with F1 yet." Got a I lot mean, listen, do. you got Sebastian Vettel retiring, um, a historic driver in F1. You got Alonso going into his spot. Stroll, he's only there really because his daddy owns the team. <laughs> um, he's okay. He's not great. I, I, I hate to say this, but as much as I love Schumacher, I I don't know if he's he's worthy of staying in Formula One. Is if he's weird, he'll have these flashes of greatness. Yeah, but it'll be followed by like two races that he just you know, you know is. Well, he he made he, he made a move on someone today that I was like, well, there you go, that's a Schumacher move right there for sure. Like he, you can see it, but he still ends up in the you know the last spot. So, yeah, true. Would he be better if he was on a different team though? That's the thing. Yeah, and and it all it, it Sean could probably touch on this, but it all goes back to the car, right? You know, yes, exactly. It, look look at how well George Russell is doing, and look how yes. poor uh, Bodas is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Mercedes still makes a fucking great car. Well, and, they're uh, having issues with this car. You mean Hamilton? You're talking about Hamilton. Is bad. Is doing bad this year with the car. Well, Hamilton's doing bad, but what I'm saying, like when, oh, when they swapped drivers, so both when they swapped the drivers, yeah. you know, Botas Botas was doing great with with Mercedes, and then he and we we saw a glimpse of hope that he was going to do really well with Alfa Romeo, but then that ended really quick. Um, so yeah, it all comes down. What did we talk about earlier today? It, it, you know, you have to have a great driver, a great a great car, and then the rest is a chess match. Yeah, pretty much. You know, that's the thing, too, because, like, Botas is always the great teammate. He did yeah. everything Mercedes ever asked him. I mean, I'll, I really like George Russell. I'm glad he got the seat. He deserves it. But it's like I didn't like the way that happened, <laughs> I guess, you know, because. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, Valtteri wanted to have his own thing. He was living under the shadow of Lewis. And the, the, the crazy part is, is that Russell's actually doing better than Lewis. 
Right, with the same car. Yeah. Same setup. Basically, the, pretty much the same setup. You know, as much as Lewis Hamilton's complaining about the car, here's George Russell not saying a word, and it's in top five pretty much every race. You know, yeah. Only, oh, the, the run race he was out was the only race, and I forgot which one it was, it's the only one he did not finish. It was it was Silver, Silverstone, wasn't it? Was that the one? Was it Silverstone? Wasn't it Sil- was it Silverstone where, where all the crashes happened, where, where yeah. uh, uh, Zoe actually went into the wall? That's when uh, that's when he went and checked on him, and they moved his car. And w- once they touched his car, he couldn't get it. He couldn't get back in it. Right. Yep. yep. That was still one of the craziest races. Today was a crazy race. But I, I, yeah. I I'm I'm so happy that they're going back to Spa next year because that that Spa course is beautiful. I think as a driver, I would have a, like a ton of fun just driving on that course, just because of the way it's you know the uphills, the downhills, through the trees, is beautiful. So, what do you think about Monaco? Should they drop Monaco or leave it in? I think they should get rid of it. I hate I, to say that yeah. it's historic, but but here's the reality with Monaco: um, once you're in first, unless you make some tragic, you know. Uh, pit stop mistake like Ferrari did, you're going to stay in first the whole time because there's nowhere to pass. Right. That's why I feel about it too. Like it's a historic race. I mean, I kind of hate to see it go because it's an icon in its own, but it is the worst race ever in, in the whole whole, whole yeah. schedule. But let's blame let's blame F1 for that because they they built their cars bigger and bigger every year and now there's no room for someone to pass. Yeah. They they got a little bit out of control with it. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what the car will be like next year. So what it have to be better. We'll hey, speaking of speaking of you as a driver, there's been some questions about this in the chat. What do you have in your garage? <laughs> I'm not gonna say <laughs> no I I have I drive every day I drive a G63. It's it's actually alien green. <laughs> alien green? Really? Yeah. I don't man, you give me a hundred guesses of, of your car color. I don't think I would have come up with that. I, I bought it. Uh, I needed a car down here and, and during the pandemic, um, I saw I was talking to a buddy of mine who is pretty well versed in cars. He actually writes for a car magazine. And uh, I asked him the difference between a few cars. And he goes, well, he told me to get a G550 and put bigger wheels on it so I could go off-roading. I'm like, I'm not going to go off-roading. That's not that's not what I do. I just need a, a fun driver every day. And he goes, well, if you can find a G63 like in, from 2018 in the Crazy Colors Edition, get that because it's collectible. And by chance, I knew a guy selling – a G63 crazy colors, alien green. And it was like, it might be the last one that they made because the, the VIN number ends with two nine, 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 which is pretty cool. I see, love numbers. See, that even means that's even more of an indication. You should just come over to the Mercedes Petronas. <laughs> I just can't do it. I, I, trust me. The G63 is a beast, but, uh, it, it sometimes you feel like you're driving a tractor because it's it's kind of one of those vehicles that's like loud and and rough. 
It's a, yeah. And I, I have a, a Ford Bronco, the new Ford Bronco. Did you go four-door or two-door? I got the two-door. But I bought that I bought that when because when they announced it and they put it up on their website, I was able to get in on the first edition. And it took like a year and a half for it to be built. And I just got it at the beginning of the year. And it's got a whopping 390 miles on it right now. Did you get one of the special packages on it? We get the Sasquatch well, you, package. And the, the no, package. it's the first edition, so it's 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 got it's fully it's like fully loaded. Oh, like God. when I was at the dealership picking it up, the guy was like, "Hey, I'll buy that off you for five thousand dollars over what you paid for." I thought, like, "No, nah, I'm not. I'm not in the mood to sell it. I want to drive it a little bit." But I've only driven it three hundred ninety. I was driving it today because I knew I needed to drive it. Got a whopping three hundred ninety miles on it, so I've had it wow. since January. I think I put 390 January. miles on my car in the last two weeks. <laughs> February or March. It's it's a fun car. I don't know if I love it, uh, but I got it because it originally it cost me a hundred dollar deposit, and then I looked at it as more of a collectible thing. And uh, I've had multiple offers to sell it, but I'm just not sure if I'm in the mood to sell it. So. I need to get you guys on a show with my friend Phil, who uh, who's done. Uh, we've done an IndyCar uh, um, show with Coop, and uh, my friend Phil uh, Schmitz is all about racing, all of that. And he knows he knows a lot about uh, Indy. He knows a lot about stock, but he knows about twenty times more in F one. You guys would have a great time with him. Great time. Sean's Sean's trying to open up a can of worms here. I'm not even going to answer. <laughs> But it is, it is uh, I know, gentlemen, it's very late for you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. And it was a very, very special 222nd take. Uh, Pete, thank you for uh, for asking to be on the show. Um, I know it was very well, special thank, for you. Thank you for allowing Ben and I to talk F1 for a second. <laughs> of course. Um, Not your typical show. It was it was the, the Ben Lee takeover. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a little bit of everything tonight. We've had some dogs we've talked to tatuaje little f1 little wine mixed in you oh know? yeah we, we could we could probably go about f1 for a while yeah. it's just it's it's boring for most people <laughs> we've we've smoked some alcohol and drank some cigars i mean we're we're yes. just we're just full circle and everything here it's great stuff so well gentlemen thank you so much for all of your time thank you to our audience for staying up late as always uh, you can always check this show out or, uh, on our YouTube channel later on, which is the Los Fumar YouTube channel. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button. You can always check out all of our live shows here on the Facebook page, Los Fumar. Uh, calendar of upcoming events are available soon, as always. Uh, we will be taking a break next week, uh, so there will be no show uh, next Sunday. But the following Sunday, uh, we are welcoming George Rico uh, back to the show. Uh, George celebrating and speaking of anniversary, celebrating his 20th anniversary in the business uh, this year. And uh, so that will be an exciting show on the 11th uh, with George. So uh, I have to jump in real quick, but on Bear's face, it just says BOTUS. <laughs> Actually, what? it's just stuck on the screen. Do you see that? No. The Facebook feed? It's actually just says BOTUS at the bottom. It's like stuck on Valtteri BOTUS. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's, that's odd no I see that I see you on there talking right now yeah no it's just <laughs> stuck there that's funny <laughs> 
<laughs> so for the for the last few, while you were talking about Jordan Rico, all you saw was Botus in front of your face. I took a screenshot. I'll send it to you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone out there, be sure to download, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, including iHeartRadio. Don't forget to hit the download, subscribe, and review button. If you are a subscriber, do me a favor, hit unsubscribe. Please don't forget to resubscribe. That helps my numbers so we can get great guests like Pete and Ben back whenever we want. Thank you so much for all of us who tuned in tonight. As always, I'm Bear DeFlissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. He's Ben Lee, and he's Pete Johnson. This was our 222nd take. Guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time.